0: Did the lime with the Dosakis?
1: It's refreshing. It really is refreshing. And it goes really well with food. I'll be honest with you. It's probably my my go-to beer for wings. Really? Mm-hmm. I never it like drink a couple of these and then have a wing, and it's it just kind of ups the flavor. Mm. And then you can eat a lot more because uh, beer coats your stomach. You ever wonder why like you can now? I don't know if that's scientific or not, but <laughs> you coat your stomach so that you can keep drinking. You know, like, you ever drink water and you just feel full? Yeah. But you never get full with beer. You can drink a whole six pack or a whole twelve pack, and you just keep going.
0: Do you think it's the getting drunk part that does that, though? The inhibition to like, pre- like uh, reserve your 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 uh, appetite. I'm sure. I'm sure that's part
1: of it too. Like the, that's what I always thought it was. Of like of your you're brain.
0: just drunk, so you just want to. And I think the it messes with your insulin. and makes you want to eat.
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. Well, so I mean that that maybe it's not a coating, but maybe it's just like chemical breakdown that just causes you to keep something's going going on when when you drink alcohol you just you want to eat infinite (laughs) i can drink infinitely when it's beer yeah
0: yeah i I don't drink much beer anymore i mean i never really did you know that but i don't know i just it's so filling to me personally and i owe you just get that that stomach that you You, it's impossible to get rid of the stomach if you're drinking beer regularly
1: so i got i got hurt when i was snowboarding last year and snowboarding was uh, a thing that I never did before, but I always correlated it to like snow, snowboarding should be the same as skateboarding. And I've skateboarded since I was 10 years old, but it wasn't the thing at all. Uh, (laughs) I ate shit harder than I've ever eaten shit before in my entire career of any form of extreme sports. Uh, I just didn't know how to stop. I thought I did. I thought I had it on the bunny hill. And then I went down a a big hill. I was going like easily 45 miles an hour. It kind of reminded me of the time that you, Jake and all of them decided to go down that hill before checking out the bottom. Yeah, (laughs) And you guys were flying down that hill and, you know, I was Jake in that situation where I just tucked my shoulders and I said, screw it. But then I got scared when I got really fast. When I started seeing snow flying by me so quickly that I couldn't really tell if it was snow or if it was just blur of my vision Mm -hmm. Um, or try to You know, turned sideways, I had it go in there and started bouncing, and then kind of leaned forward, caught the edge, and I just tumbled. Mm. Wish I got it on camera, but yeah, so the funny thing is, is I really didn't get hurt there. After that fall, I, I got off the board, started walking down the hill. And I hit a pocket where somebody stepped and twisted my knee. <laughs> that was oh how I got God. hurt. Are you, you serious? Know? Yeah, I didn't get hurt at all. Where remember, is this at? Uh, uh, what is it? Galena, okay. uh, Chestnut Hill. Okay. Beautiful. Uh, it's a three-hour drive and you overlook the Mississippi skiing, it's probably the prettiest you can get in Illinois besides Southern. Southern, yeah. Yeah, Southern is really beautiful. Or Jackson Falls, if you've mm-hmm. ever gone hiking there. It's
0: southern gorgeous. Illinois is a very different geography. It shouldn't
1: even be called Illinois. It's like Upper Peninsula, Michigan. It's a Should bigger state than people
0: give it credit for. Like from the Northern tip to the Southern tip, it's gotta be six and a half hours. Oh, for sure. But
1: you know what's even funnier is like when you go down to Southern Illinois, you're literally, not only is it different looking, but it's a different culture of people oh yeah it's, it's so the south <laughs> it's strange. the south but if you go like in Chicago you're like you know super left wing and then you go out there and it's super right wing but oh, we're yeah. all in the same you know the same neck of the woods
0: well it just goes to show that the whole country is like that I mean you go yeah. to any major city it's one way
1: especially nowadays I mean it, oh, yeah. it really kind of <laughs> it's really kind of like really lost it's it's divisive for and, sure. um,
0: it's tricky. I, I know so many different types of people as you do and where we grew up. I mean, we grew up a mile and a half from each other, Bridgeview, Hickory Hills, right yeah. down 87th street, same school districts, pretty much at post uh, junior high, you know, you went to Wilkins, I did to Argo, which is where we met. So we've known each other about 15 years. Yeah. My, I think 2006 my, is when I started really knowing year?
1: You. No. Yeah. So a so, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, Brain so it was heart. my
1: sophomore year. I remember it, I you guys I it was I was probably because of Amanda. Yeah. Uh Medina that we kind of started talking cuz yeah. I was talking to her mm-hmm. and then she was sitting at your lunch table and I came over to talk to her and then mm. met the famous taco. <laughs> and that oh name kind of it's still in my phone as taco.
0: <laughs> that name,
1: yeah, that name will haunt me forever.
0: Um that's a funny one cuz yeah, you are one of the few people that I'm still Still know really well that met me that way. Yeah.
1: From what? From high school? Yeah. From yeah. 15,
0: 16 years old. That's when I like that's people didn't even know my real name. They didn't know my name was Ben.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's true. They just called
0: me Taco. <laughs> I remember
1: you working with, uh, what was his name? I went to school with him forever. Uh, uh, Subway? Subway. John Goodwin? John Goodwin. Yeah yeah. 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 He was a very interesting fellow. He is. He, you he is. Know, I, I he have inspired been, me. I learned a lot from him at, at Subway. Yeah. You know, and it's crazy those people that you grew up with who, you know, who you, 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 they just come into your, your mind randomly. And somehow, like, I feel like in a couple of days, I'm going to run into John Goodwin. There was a altercation at the skate park where I was just recently at, it was Oakland Skate Park. And this guy, Peter Arrestus. I hadn't thought about that guy in years. He was like a, a, a elementary friend. And I, Like, two days before I actually went to the skate park, I was thinking, man, what happened to that guy? And then, you know, I'm at the skate park and we're skating around. This guy is just kind of flopping around on the ramps, not using a board. He's on his feet. He's mumbling to himself. He's in the clothes of, like, somebody that just got out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. You know, I call it the dead man clothes, but it's just whatever the hospital has recycled Um, nine times out of ten, if you came in with clothes that were cut off of you or something like that, you're given these clothes. Sometimes it's like paper pants and a shirt. Sometimes it's like dress pants and some shirt that doesn't match at all and Mm -hmm. some random pair of shoes. So I noticed him, and I was like, this guy's face, man. I don't know where it's from, but I know this face. And so we're skating around, and he comes up to us, and this guy, Tony, he seemed to just love Tony. He came up to Tony. He's like, I know you. And Tony's like, I've never met you in my life and he probably hasn't. And but this guy, he was just dead set on Tony and I was laying back on my board and he goes well Tony goes well what's your name and he goes well I don't know my god's name but my the cops call me Peter. And I'm like I then it just clicked. I was like is it Peter or Estes? And he's like why do you know me? And I was like man, I used to hang out with you and it was just like so bizarre, you know like Polar opposite people. I mean, I don't know what was going on with his life or whatever at that moment, mm-hmm. but it was just so. <laughs> it really shook me to my foundation on how small this universe is. It's mm-hmm. like uh, I I think it's called like uh, psychic magnetism. I think it was said in a, a Stephen King's book where the character would think about something, and but he couldn't. He would just have to focus on it for a minute, and his his inner whatever it is would bring him to that topic. Like he would just stop mm. what he was doing and focus and it would bring him there. And I, I, I feel like that was a complete psych psychic magnetism on that case. You know, like the universe was trying to tell me what, how that guy was doing. So, you know, hung out with him a little bit, gave him a couple of beers, you know, gave him water, you know, and just kind of sent him on his way. I didn't have any cash on me at the time to kind of mm-hmm. do anything for him on that point. You know, we're all hurting for cash in this point of world, but, um, yeah, it was just it was just strange, you know. Hmm. So. You said there was an altercation, or was that? Well, he was he was on the point of like aggressive, but not aggressive. I, I want to say that he may have or may or not have been on some something like that. But I'm not trying to throw the man's name in the dirt. Mm-hmm. He just might be in a going on or going through some kind of yeah, you know, something. You know, yeah, you know, in this world, uh, mental health is a joke. You know what I'm saying? And you know especially for men, you know, it's man up and stick with it. And their idea of fixing it is stick them in an ER room for three days and somehow they're fixed because, of course, Medicaid and Medicare don't kick in, you know, Mm -hmm. and so three days is good enough and you send them out on their way. So who knows what was going on with them at the time, but, you know.
0: For those listening, if they can't tell when you talk about medical stuff, your timbre changes because you know a lot about it because for those listening, they don't know that, you you've had a lot of medical professional experience, I would say across a, a lot of different jobs
1: <laughs> I would say I had about eleven years from start till when I said I can't do it anymore um I would say it was a solid eleven years from yeah. when I started e m t school to when I ended as an um a personal assistant for someone who is um uh, uh paralyzed
0: oh wow yeah you I I see you, besides COVID, I would see you, I mean, all the random times, but back in the day, a couple times a week, all the way up to, like, once every couple months. And every time I see you, you have some of the craziest stories. You have a new, crazy job of something. Like, who has that job? Like, you have that job. (laughs) Someone's got to have that job and its mark. And they've always been so intense and captivating. You're the only person I know that, like, has been thrown into, like, the dark places of where humans have to help others or do the the dirty job, the hard job. The job that I'm like, I, you know, no, I can't do that. And you do it. But 11 years, I mean, I I, I give, I commend anybody who can do it. One year, 30 years, it's insane. Like, the medical professional field, from working in a hospital or working personally for somebody or working at a university doing medical work, it's insane. It's intense. It's... Mentally and emotionally and physically exhausting beyond most jobs ever could be, especially the, the the types of things you see and the things you hear. So, like, what what made you want to get into that? I mean, I know you had an interesting life before that, it probably put you into, onto that path, being a caretaker of wanting to help people or be there for people.
1: Well, you know, it's it's funny at at the time that I decided to get into emergency medicine, it was kind of a moment where I for lack of a better words, I was chasing my tail. I had no idea what I wanted to do, just kind of floating there. And I just kind of fell upon it. You know, I always thought firefighting was such a cool idea. Um, and so I, I, I started off as a – what is it called? A um, MediCar driver. So I would pick up people to go to their, like, doctor's appointments or people at nursing homes that have to go to their doctor's appointments. You know, they don't just – the doctor doesn't come to them like the old days. You have to go to the doctor. So how old were you? Would you say I was? What was I? I was uh, twenty nineteen. No, I think I was seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. Yeah, I want to say seventeen. I'd have to look back, <laughs> just off the top of my head. I think I was seventeen. Um, yeah. So I, re- I was driving these old, old, and you know psych patients and stuff like that to their doctor's appointments, or if a psych patient had to go home, I was taking them home. And, uh, I did that while I was going through EMT school and, um, it kind of got me. So what was cool about the MediCar driving was it got me good with working with sick people. I Mm -hmm. mean, I started learning how to talk to people without any of the other nonsense involved, you know, like helping them. These were just healthy indi- or not healthy individuals, but they, they weren't like in a critical situation. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it was just me and them in a car taking them places. I mean, I could have just drove silently, but you know, you, you, you start to work with these people and some people are not as <laughs> receptive to your, 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 you know, like your banter than others. Others really enjoy it. Others are kind of thrown off by it. And so with that, I started getting kind of like a rapport of reading different people. And so then when I got into EMT, it really helped out a lot because then the patient aspect, so I wasn't nervous to walk, you know, like when you get into EMT school, it, they're ta- you're taught to like, just jump into the situation and talk to somebody, you know, no, somebody you've never met before in your life is in this emergency thing and, you know, they got to trust you to take care of them. How do you make somebody trust you in the first five minutes of you meeting them? I mean, it's kind of a, it, 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 it's hard to do. Yeah. So you have to find that bridge. And so driving people around like that really gave me that skill that I carried on through my years. And I just kept strengthening it by different, I guess, problems that I ran into, you know, mm-hmm. it just, it's like going to the gym or something like that. It just, every, every step of the way, I kept getting stronger at it. So my people skills were really great and they still are. I mean, that's one of my, my solid driving points of any, and in, in my entire career is I can, I can read a crowd pretty well. I can read a person pretty well. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, I'm, I'm not Sherlock Holmes. I don't, <laughs> I don't go by the power of deduction, but I, you know, I can, you know, I'm usually good at picking mm-hmm. out out of the crowd. I'd say so. A good pe-
0: people person for sure. I mean, I've known you long enough. I, half I our mean, lives. I so. was the DZ
1: doorman for many years, and I yeah, I, I seemed to handle that pretty well. Yeah,
0: you are you are a a DZ legend. <laughs> I would say you probably have been doorman at 60 shows, events, all the DZ fests. Besides the last one, the last I decided one.
1: to be a uh, patron to the last one. Yeah, I didn't help out one bit, and I just wanted to just take DZ Fest from the other side. Yeah, because for so many years, and I know you don't get that chance because you're <laughs> you are the controller of DZ. But <laughs> I just wanted to come from another point of view. You know, like just really just enjoy the integrity of yeah. DZ Fest. Just yeah. get the full effect, not having to worry about kicking people out or making them pay or... Well, actually, to be honest with you, the kicking them out was a fun thing. I know you It was like fun. That. I enjoyed that, <laughs> except when we used to do it at like two in the morning. It was yeah. like we were all just burnt out. I Back in the day when we drank during DZ Fest, I would go from like drunk to sober to hungover <laughs> all in one full day, and it was just by the end of it, it was just like, get, just get the, just please God, just leave so I can go to bed. <laughs> that's,
0: that is why, what you just said is why I always, I know it never worked, but I, I had to do it. I always encourage like, don't drink because this is already hard and that's just going to make it, it's going to be fun for a couple hours. Don't get me wrong. Why wouldn't it be? But man, by eight, nine, 10, 11, you're going to be like, uh, sitting in 90 degrees all day, instantly hung over. Like you're just like, this sucks. And that's, The people I've heard, like, not have the best time have been people who got really drunk early, you know? So it happens. But, uh, yeah, thank you for always doing that. I mean, that... People like you, there's a handful of people who are, like, game changers in the trajectory of everything, and you're one of them, so thank you. Um, But, yeah, you you probably are the best door person we ever could have...
1: I ever could have known or or found, for sure. (laughs) I, I just feel like I've always had this, like aura about me that people just think i'm a tough guy yeah and i've never yeah. been like the tough guy where i walk into a room and just start pushing people around i think because you
0: instantly can like speak like i people walk into a space that they're not they don't just go for the juggler of like conversation and you do you come in and you're just like what's up guys and, then, and you just start going right at it and some people are just like hey what's up and then they kind of go they stop and you just like can slide right in to people's Demeanors and just kind of like go for it. That's where, you know, what you brought up yeah. earlier. You probably learned, you probably had that naturally, and then you learned how to grow it and make it stronger.
1: If you ever met my father, you would know that I've gotten it from him. He's <laughs> a man of gift to gab, but he's the traditional, like, dad joke kind of guy. Yeah. That's how he breaks the ice. I just always looked at it as, like, we're all equal. So, I mean, like, if, if this person doesn't like me tomorrow— It really doesn't change my mind at all, Mm -hmm. and just give it a chance. Um, I found, like, reading has been one of my strongest standpoints, because when you read, you can read anything. You don't even have to read, like, books that are educational. You can just read murder mysteries. But even in those murder mysteries, there are topics in there that they bring up that will stick with you, and you can bring up into a conversation, and you just, you know, you'll touch somebody's interest And then, you know, make yourself kind of interesting to talk to. And you could be talking about nonsense, like movies. I've always been a very good movie quote guy. I don't know why that's the only thing that sticks in my Hmm. brain. But I've used movie quotes on numerous occasions where they just, like, pop up in my head because it's just the perfect moment to say this thing. Um, I wish I could remember things that were pertinent, but alas, that's just not my skill. So. (laughs) You know, just go with your strengths.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, back to the the medical professional. I mean, you you became an EMT after high school, right?
1: Correct. Like um, eighteen,
0: nineteen.
1: I would say just. I, I wouldn't. I I think at the end of my senior year, I think I got. No, it couldn't have been because that you have to that, get you have to do the classes. Yeah. So at Marin, yeah. Right. It it was. I think it was maybe a. I wanna say it was a year after high school, but I, I would probably be wrong. It might not have even have been a year. Were you
0: at Menards? I was at Menards. Right.
1: And I quit Menards and I thought, man, I worked for Menards for like five years and I rev or you know, I was so excited to quit this job. I, I was like, I'm gonna just throw my badge at them. It just didn't end like that. You know, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I'm just not the villain that I yeah. wanted to be. Um but yeah, so I, I I left Menards to go and be a medicard driver. It was a little bit more money at the time, and it gave me, you know, I was going to school at the same place. It's called Superior Ambulance. Yeah. And so I was I took their accelerated EMT program, and while doing the program, they offered medicard driving, and so I jumped on that because then after I got out of EMT school, I had hoped that they would keep me on and put me through as an EMT, you know, easy in. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I made the transition. As soon as I got my um, EMTB, I transitioned into, um, you know, uh, being an EMT, driving an ambulance instead of a Medicar, which in in the long run, it's, they're, they're, in, in the private ambulance company, most of the time it's just a van anyways, mm-hmm. which is lights. So it was an easy transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I already knew all the higher-ups. I knew everything like that. Um, I would say strongly that Superior Ambulance would be a great starting point for anybody that wants to get into EMT. Uh, they're a more worldly company where they're not just focused on you know, making money off the old, they, they do a million different things. They do the Chicago marathon. They do Blackhawks games, Bulls games. Um, they held contracts for the stadium at, uh, soldier field, uh, movie sets. They do a ton of stuff. So if you wanted to get your foot in the door of something else, they're a great company to jump off of. And i I swear I'm not getting paid by them or anything (laughs) like that, but I, I enjoyed my time there. Um, I did not enjoy being a EMT. Um, for
0: For those listening, what if you could be more specific? What's the major difference between an EMT and a paramedic?
1: So, all paramedics are EMTs. Um, a EMT is like your starting point. Like uh, you learn the basics of life or um, emergency medicine in a sense. Um, you you learn you know basic life support. You know CPR. Uh, you learn some of some very small amounts of medications. I mean, you can assist a patient in giving them um, um, nitro or assist them in something else, but you really don't have very many things to go on. You can give aspirin, but other than that, and an oxygen. But you're, what's cool about the EMT side is you learn all of the basics that die hard for the rest of your career. I mean, you're... Um, your vital signs, all of that, that's pretty much your, your sword and shield. I mean, that's the only thing you get to do. And so you really focus on that. You know, you you get your blood pressures down, you get your, you know, your respiratory rates down and you get your documentation down to the point to where, you know, EMT, you start, Getting your foot in the door with talking to nurses at hospitals. I mean, there's not a lot of emergency calls when you're an EMT, but there are occasional stuff, you know, and so you have to think on your toes and, you know, but you don't have, you're not getting thrown into it to where somebody's going to die in your hands. I mean, the possibility is there, but it's not so often. Mm-hmm. But then, so you go, after you get to your EMT, most of the time it's about a year. To two years, and then you can upgrade to your EMTB or from your EMTB to your EMTP. There used to be like an I where it's like intermediate, which they eliminated that. I haven't been in it for a little while now, so I may be wrong, but I know they eliminated that when I was going through the whole thing. And then, um, so then you move up to paramedic, and so paramedic opens the door to pharmacology. I mean, you have. You become you work under a doctor, so you you have a um, a region that you work for, and the region has their own SOPs. It's the standard operating procedures, and so you follow those in certain situations. Like if you know if somebody's having crazy heart rate or something like that, they have the medications that you can give without asking questions. You don't have to call a doctor and say, "Hey, I'm going to give this." No, you give this because this is in your SOPs. This is your standard operating procedure. This is what you're supposed to do in that situation, and so you you do that. Um, it takes a lot of the like worry and stuff out of it because you got this little book in your back pocket. You know, if you if you were smart like myself, you you read it numerous of times so that you knew what to do in that situation and when to call and when not to call. Um, now you could always call if you weren't sure. And, but the thing was, is like the, the funniest thing was an EMT school and paramedic school. It was like, they tell you, you're going to have all this stuff. You're going to have stair chairs and everything like that. But then when you get out in the field, you have Dick squat besides another person. <laughs> and she may be like a 20 pound or like a, a 90 pound girl. And we're trying to lift this 200 or 550 pound man out of a staircase in chicago it sounds and, like this uh, has happened to oh, you. oh definitely many a times <laughs> very specific um, matter of fact i've i tore my lower uh, um i think it was the i forget the injury but i tore a, a disc in my spine and that really kind of set my career on a downward spiral because i i was out for about i would say six uh, i would say three months with a back injury um, and then coming back, it was still hard to lift. Did that people happen up. from work? Yeah, uh, we were carrying somebody down a set of stairs. They were a heavy sort. Uh, my partner slipped a bit, uh, which sent the chair stair or the, chair, or the stair chair forward. And what a stair chair is is essentially like a person is sitting on a chair like a throne. Um, if you ever seen like um, a king or anything like that being mm-hmm. carried by his poppers or whatever, um, so it's like. One has got two arms at the feet and two arms at the shoulder, and you're essentially carrying this person down the stairs. Well, my partner slipped, and so the chair started to go forward, so I reached forward and grabbed around the patient, and I pulled back, and when I pulled back, I felt a pop. And at the time, I didn't think anything of it. I felt a little numbness down my leg, but I was like, ah, I'm good. So we finished the call, and I sat down in the ambulance and we were talking, and then we went to go to our next call, and I couldn't get out of the ambulance. I was in excruciating pain, numbness down my leg, and so the dispatcher was like, yeah, just go to uh, uh, the minute clinic down the road and go see, and so I get to this minute clinic, and it's like two in the morning, and they got this old school doctor, and he was just so rude to me. Like he was like, all this happened on one call. And I was like, dude, I'm not lying to you. Like I can't walk. And he's like, come on. So he gives me an x-ray. And of course the x-ray doesn't say dick squat. I mean, it's just (laughs) like, it's just my bones. Yeah. My bones were fine, but it was all the other stuff that you can't see in an x-ray. So he's like, you'll be fine. Here's some pills. Just go lay down for a bit. So I laid down for a bit, started feeling a little bit better, went back to work. Um, carried somebody else down some stairs and just was in excruciating pain. Um, so I went back and they still gave me like a cold shoulder. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're like, you know what, what you've been here twice. Why don't you just go do an MRI? So I went to the MRI and then I'm sitting in the room waiting for my results. And the head of the, the, the clinic comes in and he's like, I'm so sorry. Here's some water. He's like, it turns out you've got this tear in your spine and all this stuff. And, you know, what can we do for you and all this stuff? And I'm thinking, man, these guys are thinking of it as Sue. And I'm not that kind of guy. I don't go yeah. for lawsuits or yeah. anything like that. But, yeah, man, they were uh, they were uh, definitely clenching their butt cheeks, man. They were being loose buttholes and they tightened up real quick. <laughs> and so – after that, it really kind of dawned on me, like this—this this is reality. I, what if I was paralyzed? You know, and these guys were giving me so much shit. Mm-hmm. I was like, I gotta, you know, I gotta digress. So I, you know, I kept going through the thing, and um, shortly after, you know, a couple other injuries, you know, legs, knees, and stuff like that. That I decided I'm gonna bail on this, and so I got into a hospital. I started working at Lagrange Hospital. Mm. And that was a totally different atmosphere because we did have all the products that we need to, like, assist us in moving people around and stuff like that. What was your job title there? Uh, An ER tech. So I worked there for five years as well. What does that entail? Uh, um, So ER tech is kind of (laughs) – if to break it down as an aspect is, like, uh, you become uh, everybody's bitch, essentially. I mean, like (laughs) – I don't mean it to downplay anybody in the tech world, but they probably agree with me. Yeah. You just kind of become a nurse's bitch. Even if you're a paramedic and you know all this stuff, you no longer carry that title and you no longer carry that strength. Did you ever want to become a nurse? Um, That's why I got out of medicine. I got to a point to where I didn't want to be a paramedic anymore and I didn't want to do anything because, you know, I just didn't trust my back anymore and- I mean, we can get down that rabbit hole in a minute. Um, it was please, it was a lot more please. than that. Yeah. Um, but to just answer the question really quickly, no, I did not want to become a nurse <laughs> because working around the nurses, they seem to hate their lives just as much as I did. And I was doing half their job. So I was just like- this. It's an intense job. It sure is. I mean, you're just, it's not so much the job. It's just people nowadays, man. It's like the 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 healthier they are, the worse they are. What do you mean by that? So I had, you know, we'd get this like 21 year old person in there weighs 500 pounds, can walk to the bathroom, but refuses to walk to the bathroom. So we're carrying them to the bathroom or worst case scenario, uh, they piss on themselves and then you're cleaning them up, but you know for well that they can do it themselves. But then you have this 90 year old lady, Right riddled with cancer on her deathbed and is pleading with you to let her walk to the bathroom because Mm. this is the, this could be the last moment that she gets to walk to the bathroom. Yeah, You know, it's just like seeing these different things and just, you know, you just want to shake these people. Like just wake the fuck up, man, that you, you'll have your time to be laying in a bed. Today's not it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I like to think about this, the quote that, um, from fight club, um, where he he's talking about himself when he's going to these meetings about people dying, and he goes he does I I'm, not, I'm gonna misquote this a little bit, but it, it the the idea is gonna be there. He's like he's looking at these people and he says he's like, you know I'm not sick or dying at all. I'm actually the warm little center that world the world is surrounding around, and it you know that that thought is like you just want to tell these people that that's what's going on right now is like you aren't dying, you are just being lazy, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course that's going to get hit with, you know, a negative thought too. It's just like, but being in that position and being, you know, I wouldn't say forced, but wanting to help these people, but they're not in need of help. Mm -hmm. They can help themselves. It really starts to like eat at you. Mm. But,
0: um, how long were you there for?
1: I was at, uh, LaGrange hospital for about five years. I, I want to say I, I've, I have some some with five. Can you hand me another beer, Absolutely. please?
0: I can't begin to imagine the things you saw, Mark.
1: It, it'll probably keep me up at night. You know, the, the funny thing about that is the first question that everybody asks you when you're in that sort of situation or that type of work is what's the worst thing you ever see? And you know, it's funny cause everybody laughs it off and they'll tell their story, but really I look at them and be like, yeah, I want to relive that day again for you so that you can, that's why I'm not asking. You no, know, <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, no, it- <laughs> I know it's you fine. Mean. I know this you is mean. where we're at right now. We're yeah. supposed to be asking that question, but you know what? Just, you know, you're, you're at a party or whatever and you're drinking beers and be like, yeah, I'm a paramedic. It's so like, man, what's the worst thing you ever seen, dude? And it's like, those stories never come up. I usually go for the more comedic things, like the craziest things or stuff like that. Yeah. But the, the worst things we ever see aren't always the worst thing, you know? Like it it may be something small, but the way it touches you uh, is the problem. Yeah. So when so I don't know if everybody's like this, but so when I was in emergency medicine, you know, you start to build a guard, you know, you start to separate yourself from it. It's not reality. This is just work. You know, like when you go to work, it it's not. It's not real. It's it's just work. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But when work is life and death, it's a little different. Absolutely. But our mindsets are the same. You know, you, you go in there, you know, we could be in a room with somebody dying and we could all be talking about what's for lunch. It's not because we're heartless. It's because in that situation, our... Our topic, like if I'm in an emergency situation, somebody's in you know critical thing. My job is not to feel bad for this person. My job is to help this person get them to where they need to be. If I'm feeling bad for them, I'm setting them up for failure because I'm not acting. Mm-hmm. You know, I they can their family can feel bad for them. That's why they family can feel needs to be separate from it. Exactly. You
0: know, it can't be working with them.
1: So. What you start to get yourself into, though, is you can't turn that off anymore. Mm. So you get into that motion to where you're guarding yourself, you're guarding yourself, you're guarding yourself. And each time you see something a little worse, that scale goes a little higher. It's kind of like drugs. You know, you got to keep taking a drug to follow that, you know, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, That fix? No, no, no. So like when you... you Threshold? I guess you can call it a threshold, but I feel like there's another word for it that I'm not going to waste too much time on. (laughs) Um, You know, your... um, Anyway, we're going to go past that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, you get to that certain high point, and now you start to get afraid, like, because you've got this guard so thing. It's like, I'm terrified. Tolerance? Tolerance, yeah. Okay. So your tolerance is so high that you get terrified to what's going to beat that. Because you get to a point to where you're like, nothing can phase me. <laughs> yeah. And see, I, I gr- growing up, I had a twin sister, and um, my twin sister died at 12 years old. And so my threshold for, uh, what affects me emotionally was extremely high. I mean, like, yeah, I still have never really broke down since the day that I found out my sister died. And with that, it it was almost like a badge of honor at one point. Like I thought I was a Superman when I first got into medicine, I was like, nothing can touch me. But then I found out that like, it's not about what can touch you. It's what happens when you're. It's almost like, it's almost like radiation, you know, at first it doesn't seem so bad, but the radiation continues and then it becomes terminal. And what I mean by that is that like, you lose your, your ability to be sympathetic. You know, I can't, you know, you go to certain, you like go to a funeral now and I'll look at it like, like it's nothing because I've lost that ability to feel that. And so since I've gotten out of emergency medicine, it's gotten better but I still struggle with it so much to where like, you know, like there would be times where somebody had died, you know, you were in the room while the 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 patient's family's in there, you know, holding the patient's hand and you're thinking to yourself like, I should be sad here. You know, this is real, but it's like, you know, you're almost like you're watching it on TV and once you leave that apron or that room, it's like it never happened. You're just going into the next room and this one, this is just Billy who broke his arm. You know, you were just in a room with somebody literally dying right next door to Billy with the broken arm. And Billy's laughing because he's not feeling anything because we gave him a little pain meds or something like that. And you're joking with him. And then you go into the next room and it's, you know, it's Philip, who's a 40-year-old man who stubbed his toe and he got an ambulance ride to the ER for his stubbed toe. You know, that's where I'm coming at is where Mm -hmm. you start to lose your patience with people like that. Because Joanne dying down the road there. She would love to be having a stub toe right now, mm-hmm. but unfortunately she's, you know, dying from cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where our, your, your, your mind goes is like, how do I feel bad for you, man? I know it's your worst day um, for you, but I've seen worse. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to get that going so you start to guard yourself on that so you don't flip out on Phil because the guy who stubbed his toe is always the dick mm-hmm. he's not just some nice guy who comes in and is like oh man I stubbed my toe can you guys give me a bandaid I'm gonna get out of your hair no it's this guy he needs water he needs a turkey sandwich he needs a blanket mm-hmm. he needs a warm blanket because that one wasn't warm enough mm-hmm. he needs to be walked to the bathroom on a wheelchair you know he needs to take up all your time yeah. but you still need to get over there and do something for that person because their family needs consoling yeah. you know they need the the attention, and it's sad because we're all a bit narcissist, but when you're in that position, it pulls you from that. You know, you know, the worst of the worst, yeah, and you see all that, so it becomes really difficult to feel bad for certain things. And my point of view is what I'm trying to get at is ignorance is bliss after a while. Because <laughs> if I could just be ignorant to all the things that I've seen and learned, it would be a godsend. Like, if we could, there's, uh, there's got to be.
0: Residual effects on your psyche, on your subconscious, or 11 years of seeing these things. Yeah. Like, how could there not be? I mean, you can only be so numb before it's, like, it really is affecting
1: your life. Yeah. Anyone. And the problem is, and with a lot of problem with people, is you just become—you uh, become—you in, get into denial because you don't want to be weak. This is my career, right? This is what I do. This is who I am. I'm an EMT. I'm a paramedic. This is what I am. And you don't focus— on yourself, you're focusing on everybody else. You're putting yourself out there. You're that martyr, always been that martyr. And that's what your job is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's a pride in that. And when that, when you feel like yourself failing, that's like being an athlete that can't play anymore. Yeah. You know, that's the same concept. And it really, it really, now, now, not only are you mentally damaged from your job, but now you're mentally damaged because you can't do your job. It's like, you know, it's like being, uh, you know, uh, was it, uh, Oh, I don't know. It's a quote from uh, Austin Powers, you know, where he says, he's like, I'm fat because I'm. I eat because I'm, I'm fat, fat and I'm fat, I'm fat because, because I eat. eat. <laughs> you know, it's, you get into that situation Something and like that. You're, you're screwed, you know, and, and that whole time you're just telling yourself you're fine and you may be fine. You may feel fine. Um, post-traumatic stress and stuff like that doesn't happen on the day. It doesn't happen on the year. It could be 10 years from now and someday I'll wake up and just realize I'm fucked. You Do you, know you ever what I mean? feel any tinges
0: of stuff like that in your life?
1: Um, well, I could tell you right now that my biggest problem with like opening up to people and stuff like that is because I, you know, so this will digress back to my sister dying. So yeah. when I came home, so my sister, to give you a little dive, we were at a uh, summer camp and it's a family owned summer camp or it was a family owned summer camp. We used to go there for every uh, family reunion and everything like that. And we were there for the first time for a summer. And it was the first day we got out there and it, it was the perfect storm, you know. So uh, we were we were down eating lunch and there was a huge storm that knocked the power out. And so we were sitting in this launch room and they walked us downstairs and they did like Kumbaya and try to keep the kids entertained until it was bedtime. So once it was bedtime, they started filing everybody out. We, my group was the last to go. I didn't see my sister leave, but hers was had to have been early on. And so we were one of the final groups to leave and we had to go you have to go up this giant rock hill. It's like pay, it, it was like loose rocks. And so you go up this giant rock hill and it comes to a curve and one side goes to the female's group, the female housing, and the other one goes to the boys' housing. And in that curve, there is a intersection down at the other end. One will go out to the entrance of the park and one goes to the female's part. And there was a circle of people and we're walking down and I looked over and saw the circle of people and was like, man, that's weird. But I got this like weird tinge in myself, like – Man, something's weird about that. And so we go back to the room, and of course the power's out. And you know we're we're um, we're joking around. And so the over the radio they call my camp uh, counselor. They're like, "Hey, you need to come here." And so of course we're like, "What's going on?" And he goes, "Well, somebody seemed to have passed out." And the one kid goes, "You know, is it my sister?" And he goes, "Well, what's your sister's name?" And he said some name I don't remember. But then I was like, well, is it my sister? And um, I was like, well, he's like, what's her name? And I was like, Chris. And he's like – he like stopped for a second, looked at me, and it was like, I got to go. And so he left. And then – so we went to bed, woke up the next morning, and the power was still out. And they were taking kids out to get water from a truck they had. And so we were waiting on our turn to get water, and so – um, Mr. Pickett was his name. He was the the groundskeeper. Sweet old man. I've known him pretty much my whole life. He comes in, he's like, Hey, we gotta go. We're going to your grandma's house. Now I was in like, I forget where Timber Ridge is at, but it's far out in Indiana. My okay. My grandparents lived in Michigan. I was like, How the hell are we getting to Michigan? You know, and I'm like, okay. So I get in his rinkety-ass van and I'm like, Well, we're we gonna get my sister. And she's like, he's like, he looks at me and he's like, Well. Um, your sister's, your, your, your sister's already there. And I was like, Oh, okay. So we go, we go down this road and we're driving for a little while. And then we pull down this super long driveway. And I was like, I have no idea where we're at. We pull up to this giant house. Well, it turns out this house is my great aunt's house that I've never been to. Uh, my aunt Barb and I'm walked into the doorway with everybody kind of just like circling me. And my parents are there and my mom's got red eyes. My dad's got red eyes. And I'm like, you know, where's Chris? And she goes, you know, well, Chris didn't make it. She died. And (laughs) I just remember collapsing. I didn't even know what that word meant, but I knew it wasn't good. Um, So we were there for a while, you know, my aunt made us food or whatever. And so then we drove home and on the drive home, I had to listen to my mom cry like every like 20 minutes and it was like constant, but I looked at my dad and my dad wasn't crying and he probably was, but I just didn't see it. And so, you know, it's like we're good. I'm going, you know, I'm good. So we get home and I see my dad break down a little bit. So then I'm like, Oh, I'm good to cry. So then when we see my sister at home, my sister, Ange, I cry a little bit and then I cut off. And so then we go and, uh, it took a little while to get her body back to the house. So it was like a, a, almost like two weeks before we could have the funeral because she had to have an autopsy. And so her body finally comes back and we go to the funeral. And I remember like the day before the funeral where I'm at church with my dad and my dad gives me 10 bucks. And he's like, because I I didn't go into detail about my father, but he's not very good at like (laughs) compassionate context. So he's like, you know, this is going to be rough. And he gives me 10 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know, the whole time this guy's not cried, you know, and you know, that that's not true. My dad just doesn't cry in public. I've seen my dad cry on many occasions. So, but he stayed strong that whole time. And, you know, went to the funeral, he didn't cry. And then from that point on, I just didn't cry anymore. I didn't feel things like that anymore. I went to my grandma's funeral. It was like nothing, you know, it was, just, it was, I, I handled it no problem. And so, where I go back to getting into medicine, like that's where I thought I had this like shield, like nothing can touch me. I can see anything. I didn't realize how bad it was until I think I was 25 and I woke up one day and I was at my grandma's house and she was like, I'm going out for a walk. And I thought to myself, well, what if I'm not here when you come back? And that uh, that idea just festered in my brain. And so I started to, meet anxiety for the first time and mr anxiety came like a like a like a tsunami it it completely engulfed me um to the point where i was almost agoraphobic i was afraid to leave the house cuz i thought i was going to have a panic attack and it was all surrounding around my health like any ailment i was super conscious about how i feel and i still carry that to this day uh, you know, I went to go see, you know, a psychiatrist, and I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress from when that happened. But so
0: From when your sister
1: Yeah. Was. She died when I was 12, and now I'm tw- I was 25. That's how long post-traumatic stress took to kick in. Yeah. All those years, nothing, until I was 25. And then it was like, how oh, am I going to be an adult? You know, all of these things come crashing down on you, and it was just that perfect storm that just snapped that little fiber that was holding on to keep me from going over the edge and so do
0: you you think your sister like that's what made you want to go into the medical field like help people prevent help people with pain maybe try to prevent stuff
1: i would like like to say it was that but realistically it was i was just looking for something that i could do that i think i was good at and i was a people person i really didn't have like my sister didn't invoke some kind of like epiphany in me to where I wanted to fight all of sickness and stuff like that. My sister's disease was like a random, you know, act of God. It wasn't like I had to watch her suffer from cancer or something like that to where I got that kind of motivation. It was like the way that my sister died was she was walking and the lights turned off. That's how the doctor explained it to me when I was a kid. So so she had an an aortic stignosis. It was where the major artery of the heart closes. And so with that closing, no blood can go to anywhere. If the aorta closes up, there's no blood going anywhere. So no blood to the brain, no blood to the heart, no blood to anything. So it's almost like having a blood vessel blow up in your brain and you die instantly. That's the way that he explained it. And then that perfect storm where the power was out. I'm sure they couldn't get emergency response. And we were in the boondocks of Indiana. So there was no hospital really close. So like I said, it was that perfect storm. So there was no, like, if somebody was just better at their job, we could have saved her. There was no saving her. You know, it's just that. What causes it at 12? She was born with it. So Uh it went away. So she was born. She was born as a blue baby. She came out. We were early I came out healthy, fat, probably because I was stealing all the nutrients. But she came out very small, blue. She wasn't breathing, and they found out she had a heart murmur. And then they did some work for her. They did some rehab, and she, you know, she was a normal kid uh, up until twelve, and then, you know. I'm sure if there was a little, you know, like going down that route to where like, I'm sure if my parents took us to more doctor's appointments or if we had a better doctor, they probably would have found it. But then I think to myself, then my sister would have been going through a shit ton of heart surgeries, you know, like, you know, instead of creating a terrible situation into a worse situation to where you started blaming other people, my family just decided it was an act of God because then nobody's up to blame. Nobody, you don't, you know, like you see families Break because of those situations. my family, God forbid, my mom, she is probably the strongest lady that could ever live because she's lived through. You know, my 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 brother died, my sister died, and then she also had two stillborn children. Oh, man. So four children have left this earth before her. You know, and you know, you see movies and stuff like that where children die and it destroys the family. You know, they, they get you know. So what I'm saying is, it's just instead of creating a bigger problem. You know, it's, it's like spilt milk. You know, we can cry and complain and who dropped the bottle, but at the end of the day, you just move on. And we moved on. Granted, we probably didn't, (laughs) we didn't take all the, we didn't, you know, they brought me to a psychiatrist when it first happened. And it didn't, it was like a joke because I really didn't understand until I got older. And then by that point, it was too late. It was already locked in.
0: 12, is young too. It's young enough.
1: Yeah, they say like 12 years old is when everything locks. That's you know, like when you got languages and stuff like that, that's when it locks in and then becomes really hard to change that. You know, like people with like southern draws that had it, you know, like I've lived in Chicago for 32 years, but they still have this wicked southern draw for some reason. You know, it's cuz they were 12 years old wherever they were yeah. when they got it, you know, and it locked in place. And unfortunately this situation happened just at that point of locking in, you know, who knows if it would have happened after 12, I would have had a better way of handling it. But of course, you know, and then like going to school with everybody who went to school with her, asking you questions like, do you miss her? And shit like that. It's uh, like, I just didn't want to talk to anybody what, sixth, about it. Seventh grade? Yeah. Sixth grade, you know, wow. going into junior high. And
0: those kids, they don't know how to handle it. Yeah. And they don't know what, if they're asking something inappropriate. Exactly. You know, everyone doesn't know. Like that's really rare at 12. It doesn't God. really happen, so when it does, teachers, students, everybody, everyone's just like, ah, you, you know. When what? you're older, everyone's like, oh, my condolences, sorry for your loss. Like we, when you you're our age, it. death is normal. Yeah, well, it's inevitable. We we both been to so many funerals, you know. You're just like, yeah, you, it's it's awful and it's sad, but you're you understand how to cope and understand what it means, you know. Yeah.
1: But, well, Man. to cope to a sense, you know what I'm cope saying to a sense. everybody has their ways of coping, but you know, like I love it when I was talking to the psychiatrist. she's like, well, you didn't you didn't do it right. I was like, well, there was no fucking manual to when your sister dies at a yeah, fucking, what, you know wait, what I'm wait, saying? At 25 you talked to her? Yeah, yeah, After, you know, like, what
0: did she say you didn't well, do right?
1: Well, she's like, you didn't grieve properly. <laughs> it's like, how the fuck do no I I to I did I There's no to grieving to your you know, twin sister. I just followed what my body wanted to do and it, yeah. my body didn't want to cry no more so I didn't cry no more. Yeah. You, you know? kind of just suppressed it They'll, naturally. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I. Not even it, was just, it just didn't happen. It yeah. didn't come Natural. up anymore. You know, just, it just locked out. Yeah. Um. The so, all the way up until I had to put my dog down, and that was October. Well, it was three years ago October because that was when Athena was born. So three years ago, October twenty second. Um. I put my dog Beretta down, and I lost it. I fucking lost it. It was like all of those years of not crying and then just broke the seal. It was like Niagara Falls. The lady at the veterinarian thought she was going to need to call an ambulance for me. I couldn't stop. Oh, man. Like, I was just, dude, it was ugly. You had Breta for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, ugly, just stupid cry. Yeah. And... It felt good. It felt like I was starting to heal, you know, because I had been out of medicine and, you know, that, that finally got me. It was another thing that got me to that point. And, you know, what's crazy about that is three days later, my sister's dog was pregnant and she's like, oh, it's going to be a couple months, but you can have one of the puppies since, you know, Beretta died. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll take it. The next day after that, her dog gave puppies and... I, um, what was it? Uh, yeah. So I asked her, I was like, did any, are the, any of the puppies white? And she's like, yeah, but it's a male. And I really wanted another female. And I was like, okay. So, I, you know, I went to bed, you know, thinking like, okay, a, a male dog doesn't sound so bad. I think I can handle that. Well, the next morning I wake up and I get a text message from her saying there was another girl overnight and she's white. And so, you know, it, and then I had Athena, and honestly, Athena has saved my life, and uh, in, in so many words. But also, she may destroy my life because, God, when when that when that dog, I pray to God that I go before that dog does, because <laughs> fuck man.
0: Like you're obsessed with her.
1: Oh, I love that dog more than I love myself, man. Yeah, I really I really do, and it it terrifies me that you know dogs' lives are so short. Because, you know, dogs,
0: that's how I feel about Bo, you know? Yeah. That's how I feel about Patsy. Like, you remember Patsy when she died? Of course I
1: remember Patsy.
0: Animal, like dogs, I'm always, I mean, I love all animals. I like cats too, but I always grew up with dogs. Yeah. So I'm naturally a dog person. And, yeah, when she died, that was, that was rough. Putting her to sleep at the animal welfare by myself. I was alone with her. Saw the life come out of her. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I've never seen anything die. So anything. So, I mean, I know you've probably seen plenty of of death, but I've never seen anything die before. That was still to this day, the last time I saw anything die
1: was her, nothing else. Good, man. It's not... I'm not a fan. Not a fan. It's not something you want to see. I just, like, people are, like, so captivated by the things I've seen. It's like, dude, I didn't ask to see these things. I was just there and ready to handle it. Until you... Until I couldn't handle it.
0: Well, also until you took a job where you like deliberately see those. Oh things. yeah, but that job is. Cool. You ever see the movie Sunshine Cleaning? Yeah, that's that job, right? Well, kind it's, of. It's right? loose
1: on that. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're so when I got out of medicine, so we can close what we're talking about (laughs) when I got out of medicine? I got Uh, into Mark, you're making me all messed up over here (laughs) hoarding and crime scene cleanup. But I want to go back real quick before we touch base on that. So, my biggest problem that I had and I could not get out of my brain was when I put my dog down. Was so when we were there, and my dog wasn't good, she was you know, she was she had uh many tumors, cancerous, all of that. Um. It was time. She was losing her bowel control. But of course, when we went on our final walk and I got her a cheeseburger, you know, she was acting like a new pup again, but I knew the real thing. So we we go into this thing and she had to be carried in and you're sitting in this room and when the, the, the doctor comes in, she starts growling. And, you know, I pull her clothes and tell her everything's okay. But then in my mind, I, it clicks to me. I was like, you know, I'm telling, this dog is trusting me right now. You know, like I'm telling this dog, it's okay. It's all going to be fine. But I know why I'm there. The vet knows why I'm there, but the dog has no idea that I'm, I've literally brought this dog there to kill her. I know it's, you know, it's you, you know, it's, but in my mind, I'm going to have to, and I think that's what some people need to really come down to terms with when they get a dog. Like, the idea of a dog is so great, but you have to come down to terms. Are you going to be that person that can carry this decision with you? Or are you going to be the person that leaves their dog on a highway? If you're going to be that person, don't don't get animals. Yeah. But, you know, I'm there, I'm holding this dog, and we, you know, she drifts off. But the whole time, I'm just like, I feel like a I feel like a fucking liar, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. he, I brought this dog here, she trusted me and you know, <laughs> I I made this decision. Yeah. You know, it wasn't forced upon me, but I felt like she was suffering, she was having a hard time moving, hard time everything like that and I made the decision, you know, and that's the thing. So when I, you know, I got Athena, I was ready and you know, I'm going to ride Athena out, you know, we're we're going to do it until, you know, it's absolutely necessary then, and I'm gonna be with her throughout the whole thing, just like that. Because mm-hmm. if if anything, if I'm making that decision, you damn well better be in that room. You know, you hear about the stories about people leaving the dog to get put down. It's to that dog, to that dog, you are their entire life. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I couldn't do that to anything like that. But let's uh let's digress onto a a better topic here. Um, I don't know
0: if the word better is the <laughs> yeah. right word to use. Well.
1: So, so back to what we were talking about before. Um, yeah. So when I got out of medicine, I went into hoarding and crime scene cleanup. Um, I worked for this, like ma pa company called TSA clean and he, it was the weirdest thing. So I found them on indeed and I was like, man, this sounds right up my alley. Like I can handle this. It's not people anymore. It's, it's things. And so, but I mean, it it is people. But I'm just cleaning up after them. You know, it's not the person; it's the things they leave behind. But what made you want to go into that? From where you were, you it, just it, there the was pace? no there was no like, oh, I should get into emergency medicine. Literally, I was on Indeed looking for new jobs. Yeah, and I stumbled across this job, and I sent out you know my resume, and they it was like a four call process. It was like, it was two calls, a video call. And then I got the job. And so I call, the lady calls, and I have a really good conversation with the first lady that I interviewed. So she's like, I'm going to pass your thing along. Just, you know, expect a call in a couple of days. I didn't get a call. So I called again, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, we're going to set you up with Al. I didn't know who Al was. And so I get this video call from this guy, Al, and he turns out to be the co-owner. Him and his wife own the company. And they're like, well, we were looking for technicians, but after talking to you and all your experience, we really think you could be a great supervisor. And I was like, I've never been a supervisor in my life. Sure. Why not? Let's try this out. (laughs) So I agreed to the terms. And so he's like, you got a driver's license, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, well, I need you to go pick up the truck in Wisconsin. (laughs) So I've never met these people in my life. And they're like, yeah, just go pick up this truck. And I said, sure. So I drove out to Wisconsin, met up this dude. I thought for sure this was like a setup, but you know, naive, you know, Mark, he drives out to Wisconsin and sure enough, there's a guy with a truck and a trailer a giant trailer. I've never driven a truck with a trailer before, but I said, Screw it, why not? <laughs> so I get there and he's like, Yeah, Al actually was wondering, uh, can I can I see your ID? <laughs> it's like this guy didn't even worry about seeing my driver's license. He's like, Yeah, just sure, go pick up my uh, you know, it was a Toyota Tundra, beautiful truck. Yeah. He's like, yeah, go go ahead, and just just go get this truck. So I went and got it, brought it home, and then he's like, Okay, well, now you need to find a place to park it. I was like, <laughs> Great. So I found a place, um, and then – so he pretty much broke it down. He's like, you're going to be – well, I you know, he's like, you're the supervisor of Illinois. And I was like, well, are the other people? And he's like, well, no, we're just opening up a company in Illinois. <laughs> so we have a company in Wisconsin. We have a company in like – So you're the supervi- supervisor of the whole state. Yes, whole Jesus. state of Illinois. And so I, I initially just – got a bunch of my friends to help me out. You know, I asked a couple of my buddies to, uh, come help me clean, you know, refuge and garbage and blood and guts and all that. And, you know, some of them, some, some of them stuck around for a little while, pretty much the entire time I was there. Um, the job was very interesting to say the least. Uh, so I, I would get calls at all times. All times of the night and just say, hey, you know, we got this suicide. You need to come and check it out and clean it. And so we would pack up the truck at, you know, three in the morning, drive over to this house. And sure enough, there was a suicide in there. And you know, person's still there. No, no, the the bodies are gone. Even the people that own the house are normally gone. Normally, we have contact with like a family friend or you know, insurance guy or something like that, and they'll they'll explain it. So we're cleaning the house, and and when I say cleaning it, I mean like anything blood touches is contaminated. So if it's any wood products, it has to be cut out. So we cut the floors out. If it got into the grout of the floor, we have to chisel out the the tiles and just completely decimate this room that this happened in. Um, Needless Jesus to say, Christ. it is not the cheapest job. Um, cheapest those, job in which way? I mean, cheapest for the the person or the insurance company. Um, those jobs, when we go to clean a, it, it it could be something as small as like a blood stain on a carpet that we have to cut the carpet out and everything like that. You're talking like nine thousand dollars to clean this house. Um, there is oh no like there is no regulation on pricing. So, like, if we were to charge – so, say you don't have insurance. You don't have home insurance, right? So, instead, I would charge you $700 to clean that blood stain. But if your insurance is involved, then they charge them $17,000 to clean oh the job God.
0: because there's no, there's no like – Who would have thought home insurance would go to those places? You, like, you need it you, for that exa- type of stuff, too. Exactly.
1: I've seen some crazy cleans, and the amount of money that is goes into it is insane. And so, that's where the problem started to become was, like, seeing the pricing – and how much I was getting paid for this thing, I was doing all the work. I was finding the, you know, like they had a phone taker. She would, she would get the calls to what it was going on, but I would go meet the client. I would talk to the client, convince them to go with the company. Then I would put the team together, you know, purchase, I I wouldn't purchase the product, like the cleaning products. The company would purchase the cleaning products, but I was doing all the legwork, but I just wasn't, wasn't seeing the, you know, the turnout on the thing. So say like, a job like that blood stain would take me two hours to clean, right? And I'm getting paid $20 an hour to clean. So that's 40 bucks. But the company just made, you know, $20,000 on this. Yeah. You know, like that was where my problem became. Seems to be like
0: every business, huh? Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. But it, it was more because I was more in depth in it. So like I started having problems with that. And I was just like, you know what? I don't think this is worth it for me. Not to mention after my friends didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I didn't want to have to work with random people and manage random people. So I was like, screw this, I'm out. So I quit that job, and then just kind of how, rolled how out. How many there. years did you do that for? I did that for, I think, two years. Man, that is insane. Seen some crazy shit. Uh, a lot of the hoarding houses that I clean, you ever see hoarders? Yeah, it's exactly, been in, it's, it's a lot like hoarders. I've been in one house that's kind of,
0: it, it would be considered a hoarding house. And it was rough, but I'm sure you saw, like, disturbingly, oh, yeah. like, like, disturbing things. Like, wall-to-wall
1: garbage. Wow! We had a a hoarding slash death one time where um, uh, uh, a little old lady, she passed away in her tub, but the tub was running. Oh, no. Um, Nobody found her until she had decomposed and clogged the drain. And the water overflowed over the tub and then filled the house. But the house also was hoarded. So it was filled with just junk and garbage, so it became a two-part job. Uh, now we have this, like... Can't you just burn it down? <laughs> At that <laughs> point, Jesus we I Christ. wanted to, man. I wanted to. It was one of oh. the hardest cleans I've ever cleaned. In. And the entire time you're cleaning this house, you're it was in the middle of summer. Oh, my God. And we're in these sweaty plastic suits with yeah, all this Yeah, wait, what's the gear shit. you wear? So we wore, like, a full plastic bodysuit. With like a if it was like a death or anything like that, you had like a full face mask with like um like a respirator. It wasn't like a full oxygen respirator, but it was like giant respirator. It was almost like a scuba diver's mask. It was a like full coverage. Um, we had that. You had neck coverage, hands. Nine times out of ten, you wore two gloves and like two like hospital gloves and like industrial non-tear gloves on top of that. You would duct tape all the areas to wear so nothing would touch your skin and you would just get- What kind of chemicals are you using to clean? Um, So so we used a bunch of different things. Um, we used uh, cabbies, cabicide. There was this blood breakdown stuff that I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, I never could pronounce the name, mm-hmm. so that doesn't help. But, uh, yeah, it was, this, it was this thing that would break down any kind of, like, bodily fluid. You just sprayed it on there, and it would just literally just break this stuff down. It would just, like – I wonder if it, like, destroyed cells. I don't know how it worked, but it worked wonders. And I can't tell you the name, and I'm sorry. I'm, I'm failing you guys on this podcast with the, the technical terms of everything, but <laughs> – yeah, It doesn't matter.
0: You were doing the thing. Yeah. All I was these there. jobs you've been talking I, about. You know, you the were problem,
1: too, was we weren't like, I wasn't like, uh, so the company was licensed, but we were never trained. I was kind of like, just throwing Going out there. How's is, that possible? How's that legal? It probably wasn't. <laughs> like I said, it was a monpa
0: company. Classic pop company. Man, that's rough. I mean, I remember one time you came over, probably for an intimate evening or a bonfire or something. And, oh, an intimate evening for those who are listening. An intimate evening were the shows we'd have every month that Mark would work the door. And you probably were telling me something about uh, the suicide with, like, you were, like, shocked by the way that the blood, like, made it Dude, around a corner the, 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 or the, something the like that. that. I was just like, like what blood are you
1: talking would, about? <laughs> blood would end up when you're God. cleaning. It was just in the strangest uh, part. Like, when you're cleaning, like, a picture frame, Right. It's all over the front of the picture frame, but you would think there would be nothing behind it. But sure enough, you turn the picture frame around and there'd be like just two dots somehow made Do you it just throw that away on there. Yeah. I mean you would, you know, try to get the picture out. The the object behind it is not leaving anything for the family to find. Yeah. So you don't want any blood because that just brings them back. Yeah. You know? Well, doesn't
0: a weird cut out in a piece of carpet? bring them back to something i mean in theory but it's not like it's not as bad you know, but it's something you, but we You're wouldn't like, cut
1: out i wouldn't cut out just a circle carpet yeah. i would rip the entire carpet out so now you yeah. just have like and sometimes it's even the sub flooring if it made it through the carpet that's you
0: know? um to complete to leave complete names out of this one but that reminds you of the time that you and i went yeah to a friend's house
1: exactly you know and
0: yeah that that was a hard one for me oh for sure but I want to, yeah. Seeing the floor without the carpet, like yeah. that. What you just said kind of brought me back to that yeah, moment. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was, I just know like, exactly the moment you're talking. about. Yeah, and I just remember sitting there, just kind of like, like it helps. But you, now, now your imagination just runs wild. Sure. And you yeah. go, and then I just go like. But
1: see, that's the thing. So your imagination's a lot. I guess it could be worse than reality sometimes. But for the people that saw the reality, yeah, that it helps. That thing that now it's just a board now you know it's like it's gone you know some people don't you know like they nine times out of ten they sell the house nine times out of ten
0: right how could you live there get
1: the you know get the fuck out of there it's not i mean i think about
0: that with my family here yeah you know like with the tragedy that's happened at this house with my uncles and aunts and my my mom and her siblings you know it's just like to still live here amongst that to be named after that person that passed away you're just like oh my god but that
1: could almost create a better bond with the house though too May- so yeah you, i feel so that if you weren't there for the, the the thing at hand and now it's just kind of a legend yeah it's kind of like owning a, a haunted house that's you know? how it is for me yeah, exactly I all mean, the
0: stories i've heard about family members that have passed away um they're all just like legends to me they're stories that kind of like helped me embrace this house and it's really weird it's a very strange house because of that like that it's so personal it's my bloodline but i wasn't alive for that
1: hey, not to mention there's like 17 people living here <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's i'm glad you use it was a see. really
0: really big number where yeah. it's just ex- extremely sarcastic no yeah it's um yeah that the death in a home is such a weird thing and humans are so fascinated by it by ghosts and or, or or auras and and orbs and spirits and God and the devil and just the I think it's the not knowing
1: well for sure you know? I mean think about it man it's it's the one thing that nobody can really answer because nobody's come back from it you know like not there there's know. people you know but I'm you know it's like, nobody's been dead you know like they've been clinically dead or, you know, like mm-hmm. whatever they say where your heart stops and then you come back. Have you but, witnessed that before? Oh, yeah, man. There's been <laughs> – I, so I got a great story. So uh, one of our paramedics from Lyons Fire Department, he, um, he calls in and he says, hey, you guys, uh, you know, this isn't a normal emergency call. My dad called me and he said that he's having some chest pains. I'm going to bring him in. It wasn't like – because his dad lived outside of the town, so it had nothing to do with Lyons. But he drove to, you know, get his dad and brought him in. as soon as his dad broke the barrier of the, the doorway, uh, the emergency room, he dropped, coded, um, went completely, completely. His heart stopped. So we get him in the room. We hook him up to the monitor. We start I, – I immediately start doing CPR on this guy. Um, I'm pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, needless to say, I'm, I'm destroying this man's chest. And um, – We get some sort of a rhythm going, so we're able to shock, and so we give him, you know, a good shock, and start pushing again, and we start seeing some some good rhythms here, and then I start hearing like a grunting noise. So once when you're doing CPR, nine times out of ten, I mean, if they're a barrel chested man, it's a hard push until you break that sternum. Once you break that sternum, it's like oh thank God, because it it's like pushing on like a 50, 60 pound weight trying to get your, you, do you know, get break, to- like literally break the ball. Yeah. You really break the ribs. That happens. So, oh yeah. And it's, you'll never get used to the feeling. Wait, so <laughs> I didn't know. This. Yeah. Yeah. So when you do CPR, good quality CPR, you will break the Wait, ribs. So the right way to do CPR, are you oh, yeah. break ribs. Oh yeah. I don't like this at all. <laughs> well, it's because I don't ever do it, I mean, thinking about died. it, like you're pumping
0: the so heart. So when you come back from life, your oh yeah ribs you're are fucked up. You're <laughs> fucked
1: up, man. God. Your are intercostal why, muscles. Why are we not a- talking about this? <laughs> so, I've never heard this before. So we're you know we're pushing on this guy, and all of a sudden I start feeling like something's pushing back. You know, like I'm feeling some muscles start to gain, and I I always call it so. Like when I'm doing CPR, you're real personal with the person that you're. You're pushing on, right? Because you're like in in their general area, right? You're 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 going to town. Uh, CPR is not a a a thing for the lighthearted. It it is a it is a full a hundred percent workout. Yeah, you are pushing this man's heart. You are literally manually driving this person's body. Yeah, so you're pushing away, sweat your balls off. Fluids are splashing you in the face. Fluids. Well, because you know they're. Their mouth is so close. Cool. <laughs> Think about it. Look at where yeah. your chest is yeah. at, where your mouth is. Why, why is this so, not in the movies? Yeah, right. So <laughs> you know, shit's coming out, and sometimes you know, like, what happens is like, in in the tube may not actually be in the lungs. It could be in the the stomach, right? Yeah. And so that stomach fills up with air. The air's got to go somewhere, and you're pushing right next to it. You know, sometimes shit comes out. Yeah, vomit happens. Uh, um, a lot of times what I do is wear a mask, and then I wore a mask over my face and a shield so, so that I wasn't. So you don't sprayed. do the mouth anymore. That's not a thing. No, you don't do mouth to mouth. Wh- when did that stop? So that so mouth to mouth stopped a while back. But when you're in a hospital setting. You usually have an ET tube down. So there's a direct line to the lungs. So there's no more stopping. So you, CPR, you know, you do, you do your, your compressions, you stop to give breath, and you do compressions again. Yeah. That's outside. Once you have a direct line, an ET tube in, you don't have to stop compressions. You continuously compress the heart. So you say you're at the skate park and someone... Gets, gets hurt and you have to do CPR you would, you would have to no do so not. you could but they say there's like 15 I think it's like 15 minutes of oxygen still circulating through your blood system oh so you don't really need it so you don't they've 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 weaned against doing mouth to mouth because of you know especially in this time COVID. COVID and everything like that. But I, mean, I would just, be like, please give no, me COVID also, if it saves my If life. you also if you think about it, you're pushing air down somebody's air. You ever like take a breath and get it down the as they say the wrong hole yeah. and you start coughing? Well, think about forcefully pushing air down. And what I was talking about vomiting. So you're pushing air into the belly instead of the hot lungs, oh. and you fill the be- belly up. Well, that air's got to come out, like I said, and they end up. Projectile vomiting. Oh, yeah, and so you you go down for a breath, and they projectile vomit into your mouth. You'll never do mouth to mouth ever. Has that happened to you? No, but I've never <laughs> given mouth to mouth. so like I said, so Jesus. back so back to this guy, right? <laughs> so we're doing we're do, I'm doing compressions on this guy, and this is the first guy that compressions and a shock were the only things we needed. We were about to give um epi epinephrine. And he comes back, right? So he, he's he got his head to the side kind of just dangling. And all of a sudden, his head straightens, looks me dead in the eyes. Like his eyes like were off. Then they turn to me. And when somebody's dead, their eyes are like just wide pupils. And all of a sudden, those things just tightened up, focused on me. He sat up, projectile vomited, and then laid back and was like, what's going on, guys? And I'm just like, dude, you're fucking dead, man. (laughs) Like, this is the first time I've ever brought somebody back. Now, we've brought people back. But nine times out of ten, they're on a vent, and they end up dying later. So in the in the movies and TV shows, they make CPR like this magical thing that people come back to life. I've probably done CPR on – I want to just throw the number out there. Well, I'll just say 500 people, right? Wait, what? I'll just say that because I've done CPR a, a, you can't a, count. a, a numerous amount of times. I'm just going to say 500. It's probably that the wrong times? number. It's, I'm not going to stick with 500. <laughs> I'm going to lower it down to 300. Let's just say 300 people, right? In my career, I've seen probably nine people walk away from CPR. Oh God! So I don't like that. In theory, like if you're in the hospital, <sighs> yeah, and you code, you you have a chance of living. If you're at home and you code,
0: what do you mean code?
1: So your heart stops, right? So you you get that you know that Why is classic it called code. Uh, they call it coding. Um, I don't know where the the, the concept <laughs> came from. I'd have to look it up. But so we Re- call the fl- code we'll just call it flatlining, right? Okay. Flatlining. Everybody knows that E well that yeah. doesn't happen in the ER. Yeah. It doesn't do that. What does uh, it do? It it just keeps going ding 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 instead of that E. Why does
0: it why why have we been lied to? Because It's more dramatic? I it must be. It's, it's that, gotta be. I saw a house. It, well it a lot used of house. to
1: it used to make that <laughs> noise, you know. So that's uh, what it you okay. know, it's like everybody can But Anyway, so say you go down at your house, right, and then the, 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 the EMTs have to come and then start CPR on you. CPR should be started immediately to give you the best result, chance to survive result, yeah. because your brain starts dying immediately once it's got no oxygen. All your organs start to fail. So with that being said, the great thing about CPR is in the wild – they had no chance at all, right? If they just dropped dead somewhere and there was nobody to save them, it wouldn't have changed any amount of difference, right? So in this ER setting and I'm doing CPR, I'm rolling the dice for this guy, right? I'm I'm literally saying, let's give it a try. Let's just see what happens, you know, see if this guy rolls good. Uh, he rolls seven instead of snake eyes, you know, that kind of, that aspect. So it takes a little bit of a relief off of you like you could have done the best cpr on this guy but in the field he was down for 45 minutes he got to you and he was down for another 15 that's brain death yeah. even if you brought his heart back he'd be an organ donor maybe you know what i'm saying that's another thing organ donation that's all full of shit like you don't <laughs> so so a lot. when i first got into all what that do you, what do you mean i thought that like when somebody dies you can just harvest all their organs they have to be alive so not like Brain alive, but they have their body still has to be circulating. It oh. has to be something has to be going on. So a lot of times when they decide to take vital organs, it's somebody that's brain dead, and they ask the family, "Hey, can they can I they take these you organs? Want, you want the organs? Still they to have to be, be fresh because we have no ability to keep these things going. I right. mean, there are machines out there, but they're I have a question for you then. Go ahead. We're gonna
0: <laughs> we're gonna debunk this right here right now because I'm sick and tired of hearing it my whole life. If you're an organ donor. They're not going to just let you die just because you're an organ donor. Well, so they're going to do everything they can to make sure that your brain is dead? No, know what I'm saying? Like... Wouldn't they rather save you first than trying to be like, well, Well, he's an organ donor, so we'll just let him die and take his organs out.
1: Depending on what hospital you go to, I can't confirm. Wait, what? No, I'm just just saying like, that all depends on the doctor on the job, but nine times out of 10, they take, so we'll go to like the, the, the culture of it. They take an oath to, the Hippocratic oath. Yeah. Yeah. So every patient is important. Did you take that oath? Of course. We took a different oath, but it's the same concept, you know, to do no harm, all that stuff but I couldn't recite it for you, but I do no harm. <laughs> it's pretty much what it is. Yeah. I mean, in the long yeah. scent of it. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, is like you could be at a fucking fucked up hospital and they're just like selling organs on the black market. Okay. Yeah. You no, know, that's the case. That's that's I mean, real. That's, that could be real. I'm not could saying be, or you, do you I've have never proof? seen it. I'm not so saying you're just saying I'm, stuff. I'm just, you know, don't No. We're not here we're, to say something. We're here to, so I want real I, empirical ideally, information. Ideally. No, if you have okay. like an honest doctor they are going to make sure with uh, with with every source of a dot in your you know like and that's the beauty of it, too, is you have the right to say no to organ donation. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not advocating no organ donation, please. But I'm just saying that's that's the beauty of it is because some people like yourself or some people maybe past yourself that have these fears that, oh, they're going to take me I early and fear. stuff like that. I don't care. You know, exactly.
0: So, But it I just my logic they goes, they why would they let you, you die? It's so much harder to, like – to let you die and take out your organs and hope it works to the next person wouldn't it be easier to try to save who's there in their full body so if your
1: brain is dead your brain is dead you know there's no there's no coming back I'm not talking about that I'm talking about
0: you go to the hospital and maybe like you're unconscious or something and they're just like you just got messed up in a car accident but you'll be okay you just you need to recuperate whatever it is I don't know that's
1: not how organ donation works no I'm saying but
0: (laughs) what I'm saying is people will go like I've heard this so many times like I don't want to be an organ donor Because if I ever get hurt or go to the hospital, they'll, exactly. So that's what I'm trying to say.
1: So like I said, so like if you are brain dead, yeah. And you're an organ donor, they can take your organs without consent. I do believe. Uh, but I also think they need to touch with like a, a a person in charge of your, your, your stuff, you know, like a, you you know, a living, like a living will or something like that, even if you have it. But are you an organ donor? I am. I am too. Um, but, uh, what was I getting? So, like, so, like I said, organ donations when you're dead is, like, a bunk. Like, you know, like, everybody thinks, oh, they could just take your kidneys and stuff. No, you have to be alive. It's a rare, you know, a rare So, occurrence. if you
0: passed out and died at home.
1: Yeah. So, say, like, not. say you have a stroke, right? And, yeah. you know, your brain's dead. But you still have these good organs. You know, they may try to take some of your yeah. organs, depending on your blood type, depending on your history, all that mm-hmm. stuff. You know, how old you are. Um... But the only thing they can take from you when you're dead is, I believe, some skin, Um, the the sclera of your eye, the white part of your eye, and the cornea, so like corneal blindness – can be cured by organ donation from people who are dead, that they took Mm. the corneas of dead people. Uh, I've done on multiple occasions prep for organ donation on that thing. So the prep is, if anybody's wondering, um, is you take saline solution and you drip it into a person who has recently passed into their eyes to moisten them, and then you close their eyes and you put these little pads over them and you tape them. That is the the process to which when we send them out, that is how the body is received by mm-hmm. that organ donation. Or sometimes they even come into the hospital, I think, and do it if they have a morgue that do you,
0: supports it. Do you know what organs can be used for a donation? I
1: I'm not that depth no. in it. Like I didn't yeah. I didn't really go too deep in it. So but we um, we did the uh, the gift of life. I think came in and kind of explained the eye process because that's one of the things in the ER that you can prep for because mm. they can be taken at, you know, like I said, they can be taken at fully dead. Yeah. So that the patient doesn't have to be alive. God, this is a morbid podcast. Sure right, is. Huh? You <laughs> You've had me. Um, This is my life, guys. This
0: is what <laughs> lives inside my brain. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing all this, Mark. It's People need to hear it because it's very real. Yeah. People go through this stuff every day. People have careers like yours that are – one minute and they quit all the way to 40 years you know it's all over the place and i've had i had a lot of experience in hospitals as a kid then like very little past like 12 and i don't like them <laughs> i yeah. do not enjoy going to hospitals i've gone to emergency room visits for getting hurt a lot um i tend to do what i'm doing right now when i'm there i'm Asking nurses and... A
1: million questions?
0: Well, not not anything relative to me. Just, like, picking their Whatever. brand, like, right now. <laughs> like, oh, like...
1: Yeah, I how, mean, How many
0: hours do you work this shift? Like, yeah. wow, how many people do you... How many bandages have you changed? Like, dumb stuff. Like, stuff that they're just like,
1: what? Why are you asking me that? Yeah.
0: And I love talking to doctors. Ask them how many
1: asses they've wiped. That's always the uh, problem. So why? many butts. I've seen more dicks and vaginas than a brothel, man. I've seen <laughs> so many naked... Foul-looking things. The body <laughs> is a disgusting thing if it's not taken care of. It's I've a seen beautiful blue thing urine, it is though. Blue, I've blue seen, urine. Yeah, there's medication out there that can turn your urine, urine blue. I, I'll remember. I'm not going to go because we, we, we followed. You can through. say whatever you need to. I, I know. There was this one lady. She would come in. This is a crazy story. So she would come in, and she loved to get catheterized. She was 99 years old. What? And she loved to get catheterized. It gets worse. So after she was catheterized, she would produce blue urine from her medication. But the real big thing was is she would not leave until she had finished masturbating. Ah! I shit you not. (laughs) She would open the door and she would be like, I'm not done yet. She was an awful lady. She was so mean. She was the meanest lady in the world. I will remember her name until the day I die. And I'm not going to say her name because she's going to come back from the grave. Don't and get say me, it from now on.
0: Don't say anybody's name. That's no, yeah, related. yeah, exactly. I'm not. And don't say last names for anybody we're talking about.
1: <laughs> oh man, I already said somebody's last. It's name.
0: It's okay. We said uh, we've said a couple. But it's it's uh, innocuous. It's okay. Okay, but yeah. Holy crap, that is
1: ridiculous. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, there was a male guy, too. He he liked the same thing, and we caught wind of that. And so I started doing his catheters, and I wasn't nice. I wasn't nice at all. I would grab that thing, and i just shove that tube down his... Uh, urethra. Oh, yeah. And he, Eureka. He didn't like that too much, so he stopped coming in for that. But then he started putting pencils and pens into his urethra, and they would break.
0: Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what yep. did you Just
1: say. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> I I still have on my I, I still have a, a solid picture of some yeah, some oh. very older gentleman who Is came in older for Is it people that do this? I, it's all shapes and sizes, but the the age was was, was kind of disconcerting cuz this sweet old man was in there, right? And he came in for a bellyache, and turns out he had a giant flashlight shoved all the way up his butt. <laughs> this this thing was massive. I said the flashlight was like this big, I shit you not. Oh. Like just, I, no pun intended. <laughs> but yeah, it was a big old flashlight. Wait, so how does that go all the way up? Like, doesn't things curve? Practice. Practice. Oh yeah, lube. Oh, I would hope so, for God's sake. But <laughs> how did he not die? He didn't, ble- he didn't. He didn't rupture anything. The only thing that was hurting his stomach was because he was constipated because he couldn't get the flashlight on and had to be surgically removed. What if you guys don't know and if you're into butt play, the butt is a suction device in a sense. Like if things go up, the muscles will contract inward and it'll actually pull things in. So you'll get them to a point and you won't get them back. So please if you're if you're into those sort of things, use things with a stopper, PSA like a plug of some sort. If you got butt play, just use butt plugs. They're made for the subject. That makes sense. Yeah. They that, got stoppers. <laughs> That's why they can stay in all day. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> don't put things that don't have a stopper. Yeah. Up Uranus. They have million stores out there. Buy the stuff. Uh, I know you might feel a little guilty. They got Amazon now. Just buy off of Amazon. Do not put foreign objects and use into a your lot colon. of lubrication. Yes. You know. Be safe. Be you safe. Know? Always be safe. Have fun, but have- be safe. I'm not kink shaming at all, man. You guys no. can put whatever you like up there, but I'm just telling you, you're gonna regret it when you got to explain it to a doctor in the emergency room, because. Thank you're not going to surprise them, but you you know you were feeling bashful for going into a sex store because you didn't want them to know that you like butt stuff. <laughs> remember the camera's that you, way, Mark? Oh my bad, I forgot we were on camera. Um, <laughs> I know you've been looking over there the whole time. I know that DZ picture is awesome, <laughs> but anyway, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you you, you got to remember that you're going to have to explain it to the ER doctor later, dude.
0: So. I the more you tell these stories, the more I go. You're barely probably going through the tip of the iceberg here.
1: Oh, I mean, I... I and you did 11 years. Yeah, we don't have enough time. Like, imagine... Time. Enough time in the day. A
0: medical professional for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Like, no wonder why they're so meek and quiet in their old age. <laughs> you're just like... They're just haunting. like a
1: lollipop? Yeah, no shit. Whoa. I've seen Good one of these in a
0: butthole. Tell your mother I said hello. Well, remember, eat an apple. You're, yeah. you're just like, oh, you've lost it. Yeah. <laughs> you've seen they're, everything. They're just on scripts now. That's Who, all it is. out of all the... Doctors in a hospital who who sees the craziest stuff?
1: An ER doctor, probably. I want to just, I don't want to cut anybody short because, God, general practitioner doctors probably see just as bad as ER, yeah. like, you know, like, because they got to deal with you all fucking time, you yeah. know, everything, all your animals. A little bit of everything. Yeah. I don't have a, but ER I, doctors get the the blunt of the storm because they're seeing it at the worst times, you know. Right. Like, in, that's, yeah. Emergency medicine is like the worst day of your life kind of thing. That's what you're dealing yeah. with. Yeah. That's why day. I don't like
0: going. Yeah. I always try to go at like two, three A. M. That's yeah. my favorite time to go. If I can't if I break a bone, I'll just wait a couple of hours. That's it. I th- it just so happens most of the times I've gone has have been two, three AM and it's been easy. Like in, you wait ten minutes and they get you because no one's really there. I've never gone I've gone during the day during the day once or twice. But um my god, I, I I'm grateful hospitals exist, but I try not to ever be in them.
1: Yeah, that's the idea. Um, you know. I had a
0: family member whose name shall be not said who had like a his heart stopped on a golf course. Oh yeah. And his friend did CPR on him until saved his life. The ambulance came and I I don't know if it was a helicopter or an ambulance came and they continued until a helicopter come, yeah. came and took them to a hospital and then they cooled their body down. Yeah. And I think he was in a coma for 3 days yeah. and then just woke up. They pulled the tube out and he was just fine. Yeah. Just fine. And it was just like a crazy freak accident, a, but the 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 CPR that went from on the green of the golf course
1: through the transportation all the hospital kept them
0: alive. They just kept doing the process. Yes,
1: yeah, I mean that's what I said. So if it starts from the beginning, you got a lot less, and 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 you're young and stuff like that. It really kind of makes that process possible yeah but if you're old you're already fighting against the time you know like yeah all those little things come into play and that's that's where you know like where it comes like good training and stuff like that and not getting complacent and you know just you know doing the job it 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 takes so like you know, it being takes a good village.
0: health helps with just surviving those things
1: for sure but that's not always the case too because i mean you could be in great health but nobody's around you don't have that friend right. who knew how to do cpr you right. know you know it, as a, as my grandpa always said, you know, healthy people are going to be mad when they're dying from nothing. You know, it's 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 just those luck of the card. You know, but on average, I'm sure yeah, you've yeah, seen sure. less
0: healthier people in the hospital.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, of course. So my problem with the Lagrange and stuff like that. Well, I guess, yeah. In, Can you have another beer, please? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna grab one myself. Yeah. Man, Mark, these
0: blow my mind over here. Yeah, Freaking well. me out. Making me laugh, making me cry. That's it, man. You're doing everything. <laughs> like how you usually do.
1: That's it, man. That's my life. Smiles and cries. Smiles yeah, and cries.
0: I'd say so. These stories are ridiculous.
1: That's also a quote from uh, training day, right? That's how I, he understands I can't the streets. Get this lime
0: in here. I'm really bad at things when it comes to alcohol.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, man. I remember I remember the days when you, you didn't touch the stuff. You were oh, like yeah. you were a church mouse, man. Oh, didn't yeah. touch anything. Nothing. God.
0: I still don't drink
1: enough. <laughs> you're, uh, you're more of my, f- you, you lean on more of my side too with the whiskey. I was going to bring, uh, Ooh, some nice. Eagle Rare and I forgot it at home. Next so, time. Yeah.
0: We'll do these forever. I realized like I have all the gear. I can kind of just do this for the rest of my life. So
1: yeah, that's the idea. I plan
0: on having people back whenever.
1: I really enjoyed doing uh, Friends with Music, the mm-hmm. the other. Po- I forgot I had been on a podcast before. Yeah, nine that years way, ago, we, we way started back. that. We ended up just talking about video games. <laughs> yeah, <Matt. laughs> it was supposed to be about music. I mean, there was a little bit, but that's where we just agreed. that's where a podcast can go, though. Yeah,
0: that's why I like this one because there's no like general theme. It's just yeah. like life, just talking about what the person has done. It doesn't matter who they are. That Just was anything.
1: That was the cool thing. Everybody was asking me. So, what's the topic going to be on? Is like, I don't know. I'm not that interesting, I guess. But, but like,
0: you are though. But like yeah. that.
1: What you've done. I don't have any. I have a
0: lot of friends, and no one I know does what you have done. Yeah. And has the stories you have, especially like what you learn about people. And I'm sure you've learned this time and time again with your life. Not only are you not defined by like your career, your education, your ethnicity, your your skin color, your religion the way you identify your sexual orientation, but it's just, like, the random experiences. True. Like, what you first brought up is the heaviest thing I've heard about you, and I I know it is about your sister. Like, Mm -hmm. that is real stuff that happens, and that's nothing you did, nothing anybody else did. It just happened, and it's a huge impact on your life, and it's changed it forever. And that has nothing to do with work or the school you went to or the color of your skin. People pass away. Because of reasons, and for no good reason, across the spectrum of their whole life. From birth, stillborn, all the way to living to 120. Yeah. And there's no rhyme or reason sometimes. And that is something that you experience. I haven't. Most people have not. I know very few people who have siblings that passed away, let alone at a young age. You know? So that's a whole nother... That's a whole nother thing that makes you who you are. And rather you know it or not, it has to play a role in your ability to communicate with people to take on that type of profession for so long to to be able to empathize with people in a way that most people can't that's that's very important and i i think that's probably probably part of it you know makes you who you are and you'll never know because it's you've only lived this life it's all you know exactly it's normal
1: i always refer to it as like you know, the the kid down the street, and you may be the kid down the street who had the pool, right? And you think to yourself, like, man, if I had a pool, I'd be in there all the time. But that kid down the street never wants to go in his pool because mm-hmm. he's had it all his life. Yeah. It's the same concept. I mean, it's just like you just don't think about these things because they're 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 just been your life. You I mean mm-hmm. you just do them. You just do them because this is what you do. Mm-hmm. And um there was a <laughs> I had a I had a plan to move on to something else on that. But I yeah, lost my train of thought. Um, well, what was I gonna say? Pooh I try so hard not to interrupt people and I feel like sometimes when I interrupt people it's because they think all I care about is what I but it's like you you like you hit a nail on something and it's like, oh I got I got something to say to that. I got it and I'm just like, I gotta remember I gotta remember and then by the time we're done, it's just like fuck I forgot what we were gonna talk about mm-hmm. um, while you're thinking
0: about it. I can ask you a different question. Sure, why not? We'll just keep <laughs> rolling through.
1: Um, Is there... A, so, we've been putting away these beers. Is there a, like, do we? Do I pee in a funnel or something under pee? the table? Yeah, you can do. go in the bathroom. Oh, okay. I'll just, just keep talking. Oh, okay, cool. I'll be right back. I'll just back. tell stories about you. All
0: right, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, Mark Haney over here. Oh, that's me. Met him back, probably... I had to have been 15, he was 16, and... We became friends also through other friends that I have, and he started coming around the house more, and pretty much when I started building the DZ, which is why I put that photo up here, because he's one of the, you know, fundamental people in helping with that, especially back in, like, 2006 and seven when he started hanging out, he would help with stuff, he'd bring wood, tools, he worked at Menards, so he'd help out with that type of stuff, and he was just always around, always offering, very kind, and... He's been around for like every DC Fest, helping set up for it, building stuff. Um, He was always the door person for, you know, nine years. He was the door person for (laughs) DC Fest and for the shows we've had here. So he's always been a crucial part in the the growth of everything. So I'm very grateful for it. But yeah, he probably remembers that photo very well. And I guess I could talk about this photo while he's gone. So this photo is from July 2009. For those who could kind of see it on camera... It's a really beautiful picture of the DZ taken by a friend of mine, Ashley uh, Esposito. And she was a student at Columbia College, Chicago, and I think was doing a photography class in the summer. And used the DZ as uh, her her focal point of the project. And it's really beautiful because it was taken with a really great camera that did film photography or film photos. And it's a really nice photo. I mean, it's got to be a good twelve by eighteen, and it's just really nice, well printed, beautiful. It's probably the best it's ever looked. That's in the heyday. I mean, that's twelve years ago, yep. when everything was just nice and straight. It's before, I think, the very back room, before the side porch, before everything started falling apart. And that image of it is kind of how I see it in my mind. It's like how I remember it. Is like I have that. to
1: disagree. The the I uh, I had taken hand in painting that top part portion of the DZ with the founding fathers as I once called it, which was wait. Funny. What, do you,
0: what do you disagree with?
1: Uh, well, that this was its best view. Oh, I I, I love no. The picture is fantastic. Oh, I see what you're saying. And I'm just saying okay. the art on it was. Oh, I feel, so
0: what you're saying is underneath where it says DZ, correct? Um, in there red were, and there's white. Yeah, there were faces. there was four faces. Yeah, kind of like
1: um. It was Adam. Remember Adam. Adam. And yeah. it was Chris, Chris, you, and then I think that was it. I was there's three of, you, Eddie, Jake, you. No, I think there was just three, but were there big was four. There were there four. There four. I want to say there was four too, but I can't remember who else was there. That it, it had Jake.
0: been Jake or Eddie or you. You're who the only
1: one been. that really kind of stood out because you got the, well, the you, that the big curl. ass hair, the curls, yeah. And Chris looked really good. I remember that. And then Adam was just a fat face.
0: Yeah, I remember that. So. Yeah, that brings me back. But she took a bunch of cool photos. I have a bunch. I have, like, 20 of them. But this one is, like, the centerpiece. And I'm just glad dish. that it's, like, a legitimate, well-made and uh, crafted photo. Oh, yeah, photo. that was
1: before the wraparound porch, too. Everything,
0: yeah. And it's really straight. Which, but this, uh,
1: I would like to say that was my idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you for that one. Okay. I remember building that with my uh, broken wrist from the longboarding yeah. accident. But this phone photo, I believe, was developed, like, in a professional darkroom at Columbia. So, like, this is a legit color photo the sun custom couldn't developed. developed
1: any better it's just like perfect. it looks like the heavens are like yeah. raining upon the dz
0: i wish i framed it sooner i only framed that like seven months ago I didn't so even it's know just know been sitting existed. for 12 years and it's not it's in decent shape but i wish i i took care of it but you know life happens so yeah it's cool it's cool and we're taking it uh down this summer which is crazy 16 years it'll have been up
1: it stimulated my uh my need. I've been talking about it for years to get a DZ tattoo, and huh. finally, it's going to happen.
0: You'll be able. You'll have be able to show it. Yeah, at the, at the takedown.
1: You know, and everybody be like, "What's that on your arm?" It's like, don't worry about it.
0: I think you might be the sixth person. Yeah. which is crazy
1: <laughs> that six people have tattoos of it. Well, something about it, you know. The one thing that I don't know if you touched base on, and I I wanted to say was uh, the DZ. I remember people being like. You know, I don't want to go around there because, you know, I don't know anybody there, but it was like, this is the one place, and I know I'm probably speaking just like everybody else, but this is the one place that everybody just – it didn't matter who you were, what creed, what sexuality, what color, anything – it was just like you came over and you hung out. The only person that stood out was the guy that sat in the corner and didn't say anything to anybody else. You just come over and be yourself. There's been multiple occasions where people we met for the first day uh, somehow ended up naked by the end of it because we just <laughs> – we had that atmosphere. Wait, 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 wait. You have to specify that.
0: That a okay, terrible. <laughs> I,
1: I, I know, I know. So it wasn't some brothel here, but it was just young guys out there. <laughs> mostly just, guys. Just – being, being goofy. Being goofy. We well, played let's a, preface we, this. We played a we game. We were all kids. Yeah. And it was like all stupid. consensual. Yeah. <laughs> we're being goofy. <laughs> there was no older dude. Oh, gen- no, no. <laughs> the lights go off. <laughs> and <laughs> people
0: start acting goofy. Like, as far yeah. as, like, we're listening to music. I'm
1: just... So, what I'm saying is, like... Out of context, is it's so hard to explain For it. sure. <laughs> so, you know, like, you know, de-pantsings happened. Um, <laughs> you know, when it rained at the DZ, you would, nine times out of ten, see a bunch of, you know... Teenage boys running around the backyard butt-ass naked. I'm not
0: naked right. in boxers. Uh, I, I'd be my boxer. I never got naked.
1: There were at least one or two of them naked. Well, there's always one, and we know who they are. Yeah. And they shall go unnamed. <laughs> yeah. But That's because some people probably belong in a nudist colony, and they don't want to admit it. True. And But it was all... It was just... It so was a I'm joke. Su- it was what, all More fun. where I'm going from is we'll get off the topic of naked... How about this? To put it
0: into people's minds, it was very... Jackassy Yeah, for sure. Or as far as people just doing weird, goofy stuff for fun. That's where where I can get to it.
1: Where I'm trying to get at is, it it was a place to where you could throw away all of your fears and all of your, like, self-consciousness, because everybody was equal at this place. It was just, it was just a wholesome-ass place. It was, it was guarded from any of the the bigotry and the the hate that you see there was there was only a few occurrences where there was a fight here. And it nine times out of ten was some random person yeah. who didn't belong at the D Z anyways, no. just didn't have that energy, didn't have that vibe, and they came over and they corrupted it for a minute. But it never it never really kind of uh penetrated our atmosphere. They stood out like a sore thumb in that aspect, you know, like so what I'm saying is, is like bringing new people into the fold was never hard because everybody was super accepting. It was just a, it was a wooden house full of artists in any art form that you had. And, you know, you, you, you may not felt like you had a place somewhere, but at the DZ, you, you were something that you may not have known you were, you know, you you had a point, even if you were the self-conscious one, you, you know, there's a couple of the guys here, you know, I talk about being naked and stuff like that. There's a couple of the guys here. I've never even seen their ankles, man. (laughs) They wore pants and long sleeve shirts their entire time. I've known them. Yeah. And, you know, and saying that, I know the DZ boys, they'll know exactly who I'm talking about. And we've just had, you know, I feel so lucky to have grown up with a group of friends that you know, I've carried on forever, you know, mm-hmm. to, to the point to where I want to get a tattoo for them. It's not so much the DZ, but it's the idea behind it. You know, it's like our youth, everything that was, was done at the DZ and if, mm-hmm. if it, was, it was worth doing. Yeah. Thank you for saying that.
0: Yeah. I, I agree. And a few friends are just kind of like sad about it. Like, oh, I don't want to, like, why are we taking it down? And I'm like, it. I'm proud. Like, it is not gone it's not dead like this really fun clubhouse where it was full of creative people people who were black sheeps outcasts weird um grew here and there's art all over it and the there was never not music playing there was movies playing music people talking philosophical thoughts poetry on the walls dumb stuff on the walls fun stuff on the walls comedy love art food all the time every birthday party Every event, bonfires every night. It was great. It was fun. And it just turned into this house. It turned into this podcast. It turned into a music festival. It turned I into mean, a recording studio. It turned it just turned into new things. It's this I always say like this house is just a better version of the DC. That's
1: what I'm gonna say. It for all the naysayers, I mean, if you if you come into this house here, we're living in the D Z <laughs> yeah. the door is never locked. Yeah you can walk in i mean oh, i know uh, it's locked The door's now. locked. <laughs> but i'm just I saying actually like lock it now. <laughs> if, if somebody's home yeah. 9 times out of 10 the doors never locked You'll and you will be have a to a 120 an... pound dog but not only that though but it's just like you don't have to like hey i'm co- can i come over what are you guys doing you just show up i remember i, I to this day <laughs> i showed up christmas day it was late I was told to come over and hang out. I walked in the door and I was like, what's up, fuckers? Walk up the, do- uh, walk up the stairs and it's Ben's entire, like, immediate family just staring at me like, oh, shit. Like, but they all laughed. Like, yeah. what's up, Mark? And the t- It may not sound that funny. It su- sounds funny, but these people were not uh, about, like, swear words and yeah. stuff like that. They were pretty, like yeah. th- like, tight. About stuff my mom, like that. My mom found it funny. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, it was, I was dying when you did that. <laughs> I was like, did he just do that on Christmas?
1: <laughs> yeah, just needless to say, I was uh, always the man with the foot in his mouth. That's for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, it, it, it's manifested into what it was, but just like amplified by a thousand. Oh, yeah. Like, that's well, it. There's
1: more possibilities now. I mean, back yeah. then, you know, you were, you, we made that out of necessity, a place to hang out, a place that we needed, and how we got the products- I didn't fit in anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's,
0: that was the only place I fit in. And I was like, I literally don't know how to be...
1: You created your own atmosphere. Yeah.
0: And it attracted people in the same realm. And some of the people were great and great artists and great friends and good people. And some of them, it tracks artists who have unstable minds, you know, people yeah. with mental illness. Because when you... A lot of people with mental illness don't fit in anywhere... It's so when you find a place you fit in. You you make that your home, and that oh, and, and it uh, turns into other things, you know,
1: for sure. And you know what? It, it was awesome growing up as like a single young male and having you know girlfriends and whatnot, and having a place to be like, yo, let me take you to this place. It's awesome. It's called the DZ, and they're like, this guy's gonna. This is not. <laughs> this, this is, not is good. How, <laughs> this is how horror stories start, you know? Like, no, no, like, like just just believe me, it's gonna. And then they come and they have a great, you know. You know, a great time and everything like that. And it was just like, you know, it, it, it was a cool place to have a party. It wasn't, you know, it was a, it was almost like a legal house party. And they we, weren't
0: even traditional parties. Either. No. Yeah. We just, <laughs> that's like just, what, all right, let me was, paint a picture of like, it's 2010. It's, this is that's our 70s party. show around the table. You know what I'm well, we, I didn't even allow smoking inside.
1: No, that's what I mean.
0: That's why it's, oh, it's makes true. It even, forget about they smoked weed. I'm just that's thinking, the thing. People look at that and they go, oh, you guys must've done this, this, and that's like, actually, i didn't allow smoking yeah if people drank which i didn't drink so people drank they threw it out and i took care of it uh we'd go and get pizza we'd go get donuts from dunkin we always knew someone we had a lot of friends so like we'd get hooked up go get the the donuts from dunkin donuts we come with a bag of free donuts oh
1: yeah we had people go to
0: danico's and get pizza s'mores bonfires music conversations some fun yeah it wasn't like nitty i always cleaning it every day i vacuumed it I I cleaned out the webs. It was always spotless. had a mini fridge full of sodas in it. It was like the opposite of what you would actually do
1: in there. Ben was dad.
0: I was the dad.
1: You know? (laughs) I was pretty strict. The (laughs) best part of my experience at a DZ was making Ben yell. He'd just be yelling. I remember these Batman lights they used to have, and we would toss them down from the top bunk of the DZ, and me and Joe up there would be... And you'd hear Mark,
0: Benjo, Jake, <laughs> Jake. Why? Why? I've been tortured. Nothing stopped. Uh, it's been fuck the same. Ben,
1: fuck Ben has been a statement, just <laughs> echoed through this entire house, this entire DZ. Fuck uh, Ben is written probably like a thousand times in the DZ. Yeah,
0: it is. I don't know why. I was just trying to help.
1: Because <laughs> fuck Ben, I, I, I gotta say it. I know. I know it took That's me a long Ben is a evil <laughs> anal man and never play a game with this man that he makes up. I remember that game that I didn't make we it played at Diana Mendez's house. Oh, God damn I'm using last names again. Uh we played at Diana's house. I just have always called you just certain people you just use their uh, yeah, full name like right. Jake and all them. It's not a negative way it's all good. Um but we were playing at her house and he's trying to teach us this game and he just keeps fucking winning. And it's like this is Ben always wins. That they was literally the called
0: the game. Ben always wins. Yeah. Even though I, ex- what happened? I'll never play that fucking game again. What happened with that game is what happens with all games because
1: it Ben half-assed. Ch- t- I
0: would show the game, but you guys would be yapping the whole time, oh. so you wouldn't actually learn the rules. So when one person knows the rules, but not and the ben other three don't, who do you think is going to keep winning? The person who knows the rules. That's all that happened.
1: I- all I'm going to say is, but not Ben. That's all it is, <laughs> man.
0: Yeah, we had we had some good times back there. Amazing. It times. was ridiculous. I. Can't wait to uh... tear it down. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean I don't.
1: I wish it still looked like that. If no it looked shit, like that, man. I would not tear it down. It, but it looks it's like, just, oh man! Every since it, I, it is the definite definition of our youth, man. Yeah. It is just just it's gone. Just it's in the past. Dilapidated as hell. It's sinking. It's as it should be though. It like, probably has some as- like just mold that would oh. choke out somebody who has asthma. It's not good in there. It, it it's is sketchy. Just bad. There's bad.
0: there's some things going on. Fungus, fungus, among Us, I'll tell you that some creatures have been mating. In oh there. yeah, lots of there's raccoon, probably been a soup squirrels. kitchen or two
1: in there from the hobos. It's, Who knows? It's a
0: but there was a there was a time there was a good ten years we hung out there from two thousand five to fifteen. Yeah, and two thousand fifteen, I just I started. You know, everyone moved into the home, so in the house. I'm so. Trying
1: to remember the last day that I was in there
0: was it New Year's Eve two thousand fourteen or fifteen? Mm, it could have been. That was the last party we had there. It had to be then. That was a, I have a fire place in there that I built out of brick. So we'd have gatherings, events. I, you know, I How we all
1: didn't die of carbon monoxide poisoning is a blessing. We we had a good exhaust
0: out of that coming out of there.
1: (laughs) Um, Everything that was made in this house was made by people who, you know, like, wait, we didn't have like a contractor come in and build this. I'm thing. not a professional. Exactly. I just winged it. Well, we can tell you're not a professional, but yeah, <laughs> the, I was. Yeah. I was
0: 15. What do you want from me? <laughs> like,
1: the cabin behind the DZ, though, that's a that's a better. work of art. That's way better. And I I'm so glad to have had a yeah, hand. Yeah, you helped building with the that. shingles. Yeah,
0: that one's way better, way better. <laughs> I love that place. Um, you know, I I just love it because the DZ is filled with artwork and was still is. And I just, I've always been that way, like, the basement is. And now this whole house is, this room is, like, it's just everywhere. And it's from friends, acquaintances, and people who are inspired to, like, bring that stuff. Even this photo is from someone who was inspired to use it as a school project. And they made this, this, this photo is from a series that they used to make for a final project for a class at Columbia. And, you know, that's been the case for a lot of people. People have used the DZ for speeches for... You know, college courses and essays
1: and art projects. There's been documentaries and everything Docu- like that. A lot of stuff. I just want to say, making one for I w- when we I take would, I would love for anybody who's listening to this, and I really appreciate you listening to my banter. Um, <laughs> I would love you to put that in the comments. That when you got, if it was your first time to the DZ and you were like, "Fuck that place," because I've never met anybody with a negative, like any sort of a negative anything. When they came from here, I mean, yeah. even in the intimate shows, even if I had to turn you away because you're a cheap bastard and they want to pay your ten dollars, <laughs> you know, it's so funny, like being the doorman, and you know, like I, it was, it was a staple because like people just knew who I was, even if I knew you for years, you know, you'll shake your hand as soon as you walked up, ten bucks. Yeah, it went, It didn't matter who the <laughs> fuck you were. It doesn't matter. Ten dollars. All right, once the 10's in my hand, oh, what's up, man? How are you? It's like, no, man, money first. And then, like, I would love to get into arguments with, like, the older crowd. Like, well, why am I paying $10 for this? I was like, please, please give me any kind of, like, atmosphere that you can go and have music, food, art, all of that. And Inter- not pay a dime for it. Yeah, pure please, entertainment. Please, just explain that to me. And if you don't like it, go sit on the fucking street and listen for free. That's where the no doubt the no money sits. All right, go pull up a lawn chair, sit right on the street because you know what? That's public property. Go the fuck ahead, man. He's like, well, technically it said donations. It's a referred donation, you prick. It's because we can't charge you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll
0: like, say what, one. Do you
1: think this happens for free? I appreciate that, and
0: yeah, you helped a lot because.
1: Because nobody else at the DZ had balls
0: to say nothing No, nobody nobody. would have the balls to do that. And you helped. What you did is you didn't necessarily help me. You helped the bands. Because I gave all that money to the bands. Like, I, I bought water and beer. Yeah. And then all that money I would just give to the bands, you know, and do a video. Like, that's how I got bands to play. It's like, you'll get... Whatever the door is, and then a video and some water yeah, but, and beer, you know.
1: You know, like I think honestly, some of these people think they come it in here is like, oh, there must be some kind of benefactor, you know, like some rich dude just took over this house and is just giving Ben all this stuff. It's like, no, <laughs> you dumb bastard, Ben is struggling to like <laughs> make this happen. This is this is essentially at the moment, this is a fucking hobby. Yeah, like this is a hobby he's trying to create some sort of thing, and I think honestly, we rode DZ out. To the point to where it just couldn't get any further. It hit that apex. I mean, I know you may say, uh, I I feel, like, personally, like, where do you go from here besides taking it to making it, like, an actual, like, legitimate, getting sponsorships and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. You're hitting the nail on the head. We turned a backyard into a a place where I think the one time I counted, it was, like— over 1,500 people in a backyard in Hickory Hills. (laughs) We almost got shut down by the police. Ben had to go in and they had pictures of Charlie (laughs) crowd surfing and the food and we had a Uh, petition in like three minutes of like 500 people to sign. I remember that day. It was... It was almost as bad as the day that we came to DZ Fest and it rained and all of our hard work with all the tarps was just <laughs> ripped apart and we we're all just sitting there like just defeated as fuck. Yeah. Dude, that day that the cop came, he was almost crying to let us know that we can't run this. Yeah.
0: He, they, the, the two cops that came did not want to tell me that, we, that I couldn't do it. Luckily, I didn't give up and our friends didn't and I went with the neighbors and just all we had to do is have a conversation and just have an understanding of, like, what's going on there. I think they were just kind of confused. I don't blame them. Yeah, well... This if, uh, doesn't normally happen. Exactly. So, like, they were, we're just like, what is going when on? When I
1: try to explain this to people, like, hey, you should come to DZ Fest, <laughs> they're like, this, fu- this is probably, like, a crackhead fest. Like, a bunch of ho- uh, hippies trying to do, like, uh... What is that, um... Um... Uh, uh, what was that, uh, big fest, um... Oh,
0: um, out in the desert? No, 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 um... Wapalooza?
1: No, back uh, in, like, the 60s. Oh, um...
0: Woodstock. Woodstock. Yeah.
1: It, you know, that's essentially what it was. I right? mean, yeah, like, yeah. it's just.
0: That's what my parents call it.
1: It, it is yeah. Woodstock. Yeah. I mean, there there was a point to where Jason was playing this, this sitar. The sitar. We had a sitar. <laughs> like, who's got a sitar <laughs> at a music festival? Like, I'm people,
0: excited for this year.
1: People are like, yeah, that's cool. I have no idea what the fuck he's playing. He's sitting there. <laughs> so, the funny thing about that sitar, so, like, uh, inside joke between me and Jason for the longest time, I used to call the instrument the sitting retard. And I didn't mean it as, like, oh. he's a retard. I just meant, like, because he called it the sitar. And then as a cha- as a young man, I was like, oh, that kind of sounds retard. Mark, you so, know that
0: word's not supposed to be used I use know. Anymore.
1: That's why I'm trying to explain <laughs> because I had an altercation on Facebook about Jason playing that thing. And I was like, look at Jason, the sitting retard. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's playing the sitting retard. And everybody just gave me such a negative. well, What do you I expect? Did, it's an inside joke. Well, between, y- inside jokes. It's not inside anymore. When it's on but Facebook, I was th- it was on Jason's Facebook. It, but it's that's a public I'm forum. I'm not. I'm not a. Co- I, I don't. I ai do not i do not have a filter. I've but noticed. I just, I'm just trying to say that it was a joke back in the day, and, and I, I ah, fucked myself <laughs> up, man. I was such a – on a prestigious <laughs> level there. You know, oh look at this guy. He, he has he has inner demons. He, 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 he worked as a medicine. Listen. Now he's said retard. He's fucked. What. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> All right. I so, won't say the word anymore. What
0: you do <laughs> now is you you're you're on a good path by saying I won't say anymore and you
1: it, it, you acknowledge that it wasn't. It, it wasn't a thing that I said a, in a <laughs> demeanor that would be considered. It was just a play on words. That's all it was. I know. I know. I'm fucking terrible. <laughs> I had to get a little comedy into this. Oh right? my god. Oh man. Somebody's gonna get triggered. Oh, I, this th- is bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, everyone. This is not what I meant to do. Uh, hopefully, Ben will edit this. For sometimes. Sometimes I forget what I'm. Where I'm at. <laughs> Like I said no filter, right? There's got to be something in that. Uh, um you made me cry
0: emotionally and made you cringe from <laughs> from a really heavy story and then you made me cry from laughter. So you hit me on both sides. That's it, man. Full
1: of a uh, emotional uh, roller coaster here. You uh so all I'm saying was is I didn't I didn't mean anything by it. It was just a, a it was a joke at one time and it was it was in an, an poor taste. Yeah, an old joke. An old joke. Very yeah, old. But
0: that's the thing, like, there's so many words that people grew up e- using.
1: Yeah. Um, like my grandparents. Yeah, oh, Mongoloid was one of the words my grandma used to call. Oh, really? Well, because my, my aunt, she she was she had special needs, and she would refer to my aunt sometimes as a mongoloid. And I was like, I don't, I don't think you could say that, <laughs> yeah. Grandma. It's like, no, that's just what... Which he is, you know, it's like that, like took the place yeah. of, you know, like then, you know, special needs is now yeah. like what we need or, you know, like your special is sometimes intellectually disabled. You, know, like, you can use, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm not keeping up with the, the format and I, you know, I'm not trying to, you know,
0: be insensitive. Yeah. Insensitive yeah, at course. all. I mean, you're not, you, and you I wasn't ma-
1: calling Jason that word. I was just saying that. Yeah. It it sounded like that and it was funny at the time with yeah. a group of guys again we're you know we're just a bunch of guys just talking nonsense being stupid so yeah <laughs> God damn it
0: Where are yeah. we Well I think I think where we are is um what many be- is many it? beers it Yeah that's my problem
1: <laughs> We've been cruising on this one huh Yeah What time do we start
0: Like, two hours and 15 minutes ago How long do
1: you usually push this thing on? When I don't do you, know, It just depends. When do you drop the, When do you get the... I've, when does somebody come in here with a hook and drag <laughs> me the fuck out of here? I've done an hour, and I've done four hours. So, we, like... We can go out with the
0: R-word. Oh <laughs> you know oh what I'm saying. i I do between one and four
1: hours. Oh one 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 and four? You have a period here for four hours? I've had two or three at four. Hot ah, damn. Yeah. You know, my problem with this podcast is I love listening to it. But it usually is in a car ride, mm-hmm. and I haven't been on a four-hour car ride in a little while. And that's we could break up in sections. You know, Larry, Larry's podcast killed me, man. <laughs> it killed me. John Tills was awesome, and then the two other ladies I can't remember their names, but Jen Kressel, yeah, Jen Kressel metal, was great. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They were man. I was killing it. It was it was great listens, and uh, I think it's something that's needed. The one-on-one podcasts are a lot better than the multi. Now, now, granted. When you're sitting around a table and there's a bunch of people there, it's fun for the people that are involved. But sometimes when you're listening, you're just it's like, too much. "Get to the goddamn topic." Yeah, it's too much. I'm a big fan of one on one. Two is max,
0: but one on one is my favorite.
1: Because when you guys were talking about it, weren't you talking about like um, doing like you, Dill, and somebody else? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We were gonna. We tried that once. Halloween night. The problem is we all got really drunk. Yeah, and really high. Here in this room and there was five of us it was a hot mess I oh, have I have sure. the one recording Jeez, of it Jesus. and I'm like this has never seen the light of day it's like three hours of just of five nonsense. high drunk people just saying some crazy stuff like crazy stuff yeah it was great I loved it but I was like and we we were calling it anything goes and mm-hmm. it really anything went and I was like this is too much like yeah people are gonna like the world is not ready for yeah. this well we're not ready for this and,
1: <laughs> and um so It was just me. too much.
0: There was just so much going on with five people. You have to know a balance, and it was just really hard to do. And when you involve, you know, drugs and alcohol, it's like, yeah, you're, you're you don't pay attention. Uh, Even say, right now, I
1: say drugs for marijuana is a is a bit of a. I'm just saying uh, anything that changes. Like my the mind doesn't go to I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. nothing
0: crazy. Yeah. We're just doing weed. You know, smoking weed
1: where it starts ben i know it's the taking the edibles i still remember man you know going back to like drugs though you know we had that that situation here in the dz that kind of like kind of changed my atmosphere of drugs and stuff like that had watched a situation unfold right in front of our eyes and that kind of really i i, I would go in a context. I mean, I would go more deep into what I'm saying, but it, it, it would, it would draw attention to somebody that I'm, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying that there, there had been life-changing moments in the DZ is where I'm getting at Mm -hmm. that, you know, it started with just that, just like, like I'm saying the gateway, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, here, do this, you know, sell this and you'll make some money. And then it turned into, you know, no longer having that you know, a certain person in your life Mm -hmm. and it's pretty, it's pretty insane that those situations happen and, you know, um, if you don't pay attention to those, those situations in your life and you let those go by, um, you don't learn what you need to learn it's really hard to talk into context and search things like it's so much easier just using full names (laughs) i know (laughs) i know uh, who you're talking about and i know what you're saying i know i just feel bad for the listeners (laughs) no
0: i mean we're talking about a friend we used to have that just um there's been many friends that's the thing is i've lost many friends to drugs and alcohol either like literally they passed away from overdoses or i lost them um figuratively speaking like yeah just, I can't be friends with them anymore. Yeah, it's impossible. It, 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 it went down to a dark place where you're like, I can't be around you. I'm scared. You scare me. Not only that is like
1: you can't trust them. I don't, tr- and, tr- I don't that- trust yeah, you exactly. with anything.
0: Like, like, I literally have zero and, trust for you. I tried and tried and tried and tried. And I, I tried for too long. Most people would not have tried as long. So, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's something I'm very aware of. Those types of circumstances I learned a lot from for mental health, Yeah, emotional health, Alcohol, drugs, you know, I we, i try to treat every time I drink for a reason. A celebration, an event, not just to just do it. So, like, yeah. having an old friend come in to talk for hours, like, how have it been, you know, have a couple beers. It
1: definitely loosens up the, the process a it's, little it's bit. It's the context
0: it, of it. You know. I'm not, I don't do this every day. Oh, yeah. I'm not sitting around by myself just drinking, like, yeah. You know, it's, it's, that's how I treat alcohol. I right. How I treat marijuana. It's how I treat mushrooms. I do these, those are the only three things I do. And I treat them very sacred to me. It's very important. After what I've seen and the people I've lost, again, their lives taken by themselves, or they've just lost it completely and I can't be around them anymore. Like, I take it very seriously.
1: Well, see, the, the things that I, I step into. So like with drugs and stuff like that, even marijuana, um, they start to open doors that (laughs) I deliberately closed for a reason. And, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to open those doors again. There, there's a reason I closed them in my brain. And I, I speak of that, like I can control it, but there's a reason (laughs) there's guards up there. And um, I know by experience that certain drugs, like mushrooms, as you say, is like a, you know, like sacred to you. But I know those things can, if you have, you know, like a week or if you have damage to your psyche, those can open a door to where you never come back and be the same person again. It's kind of like going through post-traumatic stress. It it, it throws you into that moment where you, you may not have been a schizophrenic person, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden, you know, it's called drug-related psychosis. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it opens a door that, and I use doors because, you know, I, you I enter know story, and I you, um, but it opens those, it, it opens those aspects, and I, I personally have had a situation where that has happened to a, a family member of mine who who opened a door using acid, and, you know, it kind of changed that person forever. For the worse. I wouldn't call it for the worst, but in the moment Mm -hmm. and, you know, in the start of it, I would say it's the worst. But, you know, now what you can do is dial back and be like, well, now this is a learning experience because that life isn't open or isn't lost. You know, like with life, if say he died to it, that's it. You know, that, that, that could be the worst. But with life, there's possibilities. And with life, there's more to come you know what I'm saying? So the the story isn't done. The Mm -hmm. story isn't written. You know, the next chapter can easily change. And that's, that's something to look forward to, you know, at least at some point they saw their situation, they stopped their situation and moved on. But I'm not saying that all drugs are bad. I mean, there's, I think what I'm going to do is when I turn like 80, 90 years old, I'm just going to jump on the, jump on the the train and do all the psychedelics I can because why the fuck not, you know? Yeah, you haven't tried any? No, I've never done any of those. I've never done anything mind-altering besides marijuana a couple of times. Okay. Um, I just... Marijuana fucks with my anxiety. Yeah. Similar to, like, um, for myself, uh, I have a really sensitivity to... uh, A strong sensitivity to caffeine, so I don't consume caffeine at Mm -hmm. all. Marijuana is the same thing. It just... It just fucks with my brain.
0: No mushrooms, no acid.
1: No, nothing like that. I'm saving that for the elderly, man. I think you'd
0: love mushrooms. Just cruise out. They're a fun one. They are uh, my favorite thing to do in the world, as far as drugs.
1: I I can imagine.
0: And, I mean, that that only didn't happen until I was 28.
1: Yeah, I know. Like I said, you were...
0: Very late. But I'm glad, though. I'm so grateful that it's something I started trying later, after I experienced enough my brain developed, my body developed. I know who I
1: was. Watching you grow up, Ben, it's been an honor, man. Because <laughs> I've uh, I've been the the oldest one in the DZ. I think pretty much. I don't think there's you, anybody Jake, older. You, Jake, Eddie. Well, I'm thought You meant oldest. like hanging out the longest. I'm oldest. the oldest. Yeah. yeah. Of all you guys, so. Well, only by like what? I'm. You're a, older than me years. by like exactly one year. Yeah, one year.
0: Because you're December twenty eighth, twenty 29th. ninth, and I'm December 14th. But oh, you're yeah. 88. I'm 89. So.
1: Oh, okay. We have... I always thought I was two years older than you. Mm. But anyway, it's great. To see you grow into this person that's comfortable with them themselves in that manner and, you know, like, because you were so, so against it when we were kids, man. Yeah. So against it. Yeah. You. I remember just bringing beer over and being chastised for it. <laughs> and now it's like watching you, like, at a Halloween, you were, like, double fisting two <laughs> beers and you had a whole thing of... You know whiskey, and I'm just like, who the fuck are? You? And then you're, you know, thirty one. What do you want from me? <laughs> you're hitting a bowl, and it's like, what? Who, who are it's you? All, it's all legal
0: now. And what I'm, the fuck I'm is an happening? Adult. In I'm this glad house. I waited. Yeah, no I'm shame. glad I let it. I let the, uh, the the brain develop a little bit. You know,
1: the adolescence um, slip away, and then the elderly. You know,
0: yeah. I think about it. I'm like, I I'm glad I was hard on myself and strict because it, it allowed me to be in the moment and present until I figured out who I was, and then I was a- able to have more of, like, a, a control over it.
1: You didn't waste your youth either, you no, know. No, not at all. I know a couple of people who, you know, got into drugs early and, you know, passed away from them, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the one thing I never wanted to waste is, I mean, I'm here, you know, I'm here, my sister's not, they're at, you know, like, if you believe in reasoning and, you know, like, if you want to say there's a reason to everything and, Everything that happens for a reason, like well, you know, like there's sometimes you got to question yourself, like, well, what the fuck am I here for, man? Yeah. Why did I get put with that fucking? <laughs> why Why did that fall on my lap? Like, yeah. I I've got to prove something now. What the fuck? Yeah. And so, that's why I've never really wasted, you know, my time with drugs and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I have no problem with it. I have nothing to say against it, and it's whatever to it's me. Moderation.
0: Do, do you, man? P P U. O- keep yourself accountable in moderation. Know what you're doing, you know? Yeah. It's not for everybody. Check yourself. Check all. yourself. Does um do your life experiences from your siblings that that passed away and your work you've done and all the people you've met and the places you've been from different careers does it make you want to bring life into this world
1: or not because of everything you've seen? Ooh. I see I'm I am See I I like the idea of children um and at the same time I'm praying to be fucking sterile. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would love to bring somebody in here but I just I realized that there's there that saying that you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink. You know like you could be the best dad in the whole wide world and still end up with a kid that just Fucks up, you know what I mean. But is that the, the but is right that a problem? To look at it,
0: because like the <laughs> that's what my ifs, problem. It's the what if Yeah, exactly. You but can't I, be a what if person.
1: Yeah, but when you know, you know, in you, you know what you know. But you up. so
0: you've seen a lot, right? True. But but <clears throat> so you said like maybe you know five hundred times you do CPR, thousands of people you've seen, but there's billions of people who never been in the hospital, never needed CPR, never needed the help that you had to provide. See, so Like, you gotta, even if so you're, you're,
1: you're... So, I sorry to cut you off, but I want to remember this. Um, you you hitting the nail on the head, so where I was going to go with this is, like CPR, is I may have done 500 people, I may have done CPR on 500 people, and none of the, you know, like four of them made it, but it's those four that make it all worth it, you know what yeah. I'm saying? It's those, that's that change. That dice that rolled good, that, you know, and I've been brought into rooms with the patient who we brought back. And, you know, like he, I remember this guy, uh, I was down in the cath lab one time and, um, I was doing CPR on this guy and this guy was still alive. Like he was still essentially awake, but he wasn't perfusing. So the doctor was like, I need you to do CPR. And I was like, but he's alive. Like he's here and he's like, just keep doing CPR. You're doing great. I was like, all right. So I'm pushing on this man. And like the third push, I feel the snap. And I get by his ear and I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. Cause I hear him going, Ugh, uh, uh, and I'm just beating this man's oh, chest God. up. God, it must have been terrible. But when I went up and saw him, he opens up, he wanted to see me. He asked to see me. And he opens up his gown as soon as I walk in. He's like, This is why I'm still alive. And he's got this massive (laughs) fucking bruise on his chest. And, um, you know, like, in that moment, I couldn't... The only thing I could think of was... And I go back to movie quotes all the time. But uh, I don't know if anybody's seen uh, Saving Private Ryan where Tom Hanks whispers into uh, Matt Damon's ear when he's asking, you know, like, why'd you do it? Or what should I do? How did I earn this? And he said... You know, earn it. That was the that was the thing he told him, and he was at the grave, and he told his wife, he's like, "Was I a good man?" And you know, that's what I told that guy. I don't mean to sound like ridiculous, but in that moment, I was just like, in my head, I, I was doing my job. You know what I mean? That was what I was there for. And he's asking me like, you know, all these kind of questions, like basing me off as a hero. And I'm in my mind, I'm not a hero. I was. You know, I'm being paid to do this. This is where I'm at. You know, it'd be one thing if I ran off the street and jumped on this dude's chest and then walked away without any kind of thing. But I was there because you know I was getting paid, and that's the hardest thing to think about. Is like people talk about heroes, and in those people's minds, we're not heroes. I mean, we just we just happen to be there on the day. But I think if I could just instill in somebody to just kind of create positivity from a negative aspect. And with that statement, I'll go into another movie quote where, uh, in flight club where, uh, Robert K. Hessel's on his knees and, um, Brad Pitts got the gun to his head and he goes, you know, he goes, uh, what were you going to be when you went, when you went to college? And he was like a veterinarian. And he goes, well, what happened? And he's like, you know, I didn't have enough time or whatever excuse he gave. And he says, well, if you don't, if you aren't on your way to becoming a veterinarian in the next month, I'm going to come over. I have your address. I'm going to come in and I'm going to kill you. And so as he lets Robert K. Hussle run off into the desert, um, Edward Norton's like, dude, what the fuck? What did you do that for? And he's like, tomorrow is going to be the greatest day of Robert K. Hussle's life because he's alive. And that's what I wanted to instill in this man is like, don't, look at me as some kind of a savior or some kind of a martyr or some kind of like that. I want you to focus on you. Like you need to earn this. I was just, I was just a pawn. I was just there. I was, I was just there as a, a tool, as a wrench would be to tighten a knot. But what you need to focus on is you, you know, like why were you the one besides all the other people who have died in my arms as pushing on their chest? Why were you the one that got this opportunity to go on from here and how are you going to change the moments that transcend from you know go forward from this and that's what I lived every time that I saw somebody make it I was just wanted to instill in them that this is this is not you know this isn't a miracle this is a you know this is an opportunity use it earn it so that's all I have to say <laughs> I, but yeah that's that's the that's the that's the thing. I, I I went on with that one. No, man. that's I, good. I, I channeled that one. That one felt good. No, that was good.
0: That was good. That I mean, that was pretty heavy. Yeah, and you you save people's lives.
1: I mean, I did. You were lives, doing your job? Lives were saved. You know. Yes, you did. It, I was there. You but did. There was you other were there. people. There were other people. Yeah, but you, know, you were the one. And I was there. You might I, have been. I'm getting, the one here. Talking about it. <laughs> yeah.
0: And and many other people on this planet do that every day. And I think a lot of times they're underappreciated, underpaid, undervalued. Um, I think too much money goes into hospital administrators and insurance, and it should be focused on people in the jobs that you were doing. You know, someone saving lives shouldn't be getting 20-something bucks an hour. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, it, you're doing the grunt work. You're, like... You're wiping someone's butt. You're looking at. You're sticking catheters inside of people. Like you're dealing with chaos. You're dealing with mental yeah. illness. You're dealing with physical disabilities.
1: Under underpaid, underappreciated, and un uh, and super low staff. Yeah, always,
0: always, always. And I, it's how I feel about everyone. I mean, nurses.
1: Well, you know, to touch topic on that, I just quit my job. Yes, um, I was working at a manufacturing plant because you know I changed careers. That lovely word. And, um, I was working, uh, six days a week for 12 hour shifts, 72 hours a week and hating every minute of my life. So that's why I quit because I've got to earn this too, you know? So what's the next step? Who knows? Who cares? I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying just the, the, the simple aspects of everyday monotony, Mm -hmm. like just the things that I was missing. Like, uh, you know, I have time to cut my grass. I have time to just go out and skate. I have time to just stare at the beauty of (laughs) nature. Of of life. A lot of my favorite things to do is just go outside and throw the ball with the dog. Mm -hmm. Just watching her have a ball with something so minuscule as a a tennis ball.
0: A ball with the ball. That's it. That's awesome, though. Yeah. I mean, after what you have seen, I'm sure you have new ideas new ways of looking at life that you probably want to follow different paths like you a career change is a hard thing it's a heavy thing you know for people i i know what that feels like too you know i could have just been working at ups and now i'm not like yeah that was a weird thing for me to do like a weird thing to do in my life i that was a plan or you know, to to want to be a carpenter and to not do it, to want to be a package handler, handler and not do it. So, it was like, to teach now, it's just, like, a completely different world. So, it's a weird, weird thing, but it doesn't happen unless you put in that effort, unless you make it. So, I think the next thing you do will be pretty sweet. Sure. I My know gr- it will be.
1: My grandpa always told, something, told me something that resonated pretty well, and it comes off as callous and cold. But it, he said that if you have dreams, go to sleep. And <laughs> then he went in to explain that there are opportunities all around. And if you're focused on one thing, a career, um, you you fail to see the the things that are just kind of dwindling on your sides. You know, like the, the reason that I know all this stuff and I've done all this stuff is because I've taken those opportunities. I'm an opportunist. I saw an opportunity, you know, take advantage of it. Just recently I quit my job. Well, the opportunity there was – COVID just happened, and now there's a million jobs opened up because, you know, a lot of people were out of work, things shut down, and now things are starting to come back up. Production is coming way up, so now there's this opportunity to try something new, you know. Before, it was like that job was mandatory because there was no jobs out there. Now, there's a million jobs out there, and, you know, not not a lot of people that want to try out this stuff you know and so i'm i'm taking advantage of that opportunity uh, you know who knows what's going to happen in the near future who cares mm. money money is fleeting money comes money goes but time time does not time is just going and it's going at an extremely f- fast rate
0: do you it think scares the, the life out
1: of me do you think
0: the life you've lived and the work you've had has given you that perspective about
1: time life money i would like to say yeah i mean in in my own point of view i would say you know the thing that so i've worked around emergency medicine right so i've i've been in a room with somebody who's dying i've also done crime scene cleanup so i know what happens after you die and that one's then still good. my family own funeral homes and I understand the concept of what happens when, what goes on in a funeral home. So I know the full spectrum of the end of life, right? I know, And then also I've been in a room where a child has been given birth. So there's the start of life. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I've lived to 32 now. And so now I understand what it felt like to grow, growing old and now stepping into you know, I'm a, a mature mindset and I can feel myself getting older every day. And it's just, I've seen the whole picture. And so that in its own self gives it, gives life kind of like a, it's almost like comedic, you know, like you talk about careers and yeah, I've done this for 35 years and I'm going to retire, but then, you know, you, you, you die tomorrow. That 35 years of all that time you've worked in that anticipation of retirement was for shit because now you're dead and all that money that you've been saving up just goes to... God forbid you didn't make a family because you were betting on retirement and now all that money goes to the government. You know, your sworn enemy or it just goes to nothing. It goes to paying for all the nonsense, you know? Mm. So... Does
0: it make you... Want to have kids then, so you could leave something to them?
1: Well, sure. I mean, like I said, we didn't really – that's what we were at. Yeah, we
0: kind of skipped that one. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So
1: I have no – so the biggest thing that comes – that's where we were going to. Yes, finally, we (laughs) touch base back to where my connected thought. So what I was getting to with all of that uh, earn it thing was – I really believe, especially the the life that we're living right now, with all the controversy controversy in politics and stuff like that, is the only thing that we can do at the age that we are. Me and you and Ben, me me you and everybody else that's in their thirties, um, is to raise good humans. Mm-hmm. I mean, to to instill in them the the thought processes that we carry and the learning experiences that we have had to have them grow up and. In in theory, the only way we live forever is through our kids and our children's children because they pass on what we've taught them Mm -hmm. in theory and go on forever. Um, So if we can just keep that going, then we have a chance to change the world. Unfortunately, where we're at at 30, I don't really see the world changing for us and anything that we do physically in the moment. I could be argued, but just my point of view, um, I think really where it's going to come from is our is the youth. I mean youth is the future. Um, so yes, I want to have children and, you know, raise them right and, you know, even have a giant backyard where they can have a clubhouse where all their friends go and <laughs> I'll just ignore what they're doing out there <laughs> and pray to God they're just doing kind of what we were doing.
0: That's pretty rare.
1: Yeah, no <laughs> I know shit. after meeting a lot of people you will Yeah. And, and all their ideas of what they would have done with the house behind. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Although the name of DZ is, uh, if anybody doesn't know this, it's Dome Zone. It's not Dome Zone. That's what everyone's called it. I don't call it that. And Even though have. Dome never happened in there besides like two occasions maybe?
0: I can't speak to that. I know that I was... Uh,
1: I've never uh, received or had any sort of sexual contact in that place. Neither have I. Ever. I
0: just slept there a lot.
1: Usually it's just random people that show up.
0: Yeah. It was never... People who did like, any type of fooling around in there Was it was never really... Us, it was like yeah. random people yeah. and per usual. They didn't get the vibe. You. They didn't get the the, the memo <laughs> yeah. that we're
1: this is uh, we're monks here. Yeah, <laughs> we're monks. This is a monastery. You. I always say I'm bastards.
0: a monk. I always say I'm a monk. Yeah. When I, when it came back to those days, I was like, yeah. I didn't drink, and smoke, and that's a I problem. That's my
1: <laughs> that's my fucking thought on you. And then when you're talking to me about things, I'm like, what?
0: Well, you know, people, I can't do this with you, Ben. I, I I grew up and I became an adult. I don't you know. I was it. a child. I don't so believe it. It happens. But what are you going to
1: do? Um, a man child. That's what you should still be.
0: <laughs> on that note, shall we end this thing? We could. Pick it up another day?
1: Yeah, why not? Why not? I think we need two and a half hours. I've already dropped an R bomb. <laughs> if I drink any more beers, who knows what other words I'm going to drop? <laughs> yeah, three each. We're good. Turn this uh, podcast Although you did have one before, I think, right? Bigotry session. Or two or three? I had one before. Or eight? No, one. Who's counting?
0: Mark, thank you for coming in.
1: No, thank you, Ben. ben. This was an awesome. I, I I was I won't I won't lie. I was bothering Ben to come in and talk cuz I just wanted to just <laughs> hear my own voice. <laughs> That's what these headphones are doing for me.
0: It was fun. Your stories are very inspirational, very heavy, very real. They're from everyday stuff to stuff no one knows about. So thank you. You brought stuff to light for me and i'm sure many people will be like i did not know that that's insane that's crazy i think you'll inspire people or at least open up their eyes to you know what really is going on in the world as far as life death and everything in between
1: well, that's great, man, because I was really afraid that I was going to come in here and waste everybody's time. No, not at all. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> so, so at all. So, and I really did. I, like, tried to write some stuff down, but I was just like, fuck, I'm way better no. at just I, I firing you from you the I don't know. improvise. Just talk. That's it. It's just like, just we've talk. known each other forever. What do you have to write anything
0: down Yeah, about? I know.
1: No, you're, like... You, you hear podcasts, and you're like, well, I should have a topic.
0: I mean, some the, do that. The, the, that's what's cool about it's podcasts. It's kind of how when I bought the, the go beer everywhere. today, you know? Yeah, whenever said, I have a friend, friend like an old friend come in, I'm like, let's see some beer. Well,
1: Ben Ben was like, uh, what beer are you going to get? You know, what are you going to get? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to let the liquor store tell me. And yeah. Just, that's just uh, kind of I'll happening. drink any beer. I don't care. I'm the same way, so. It doesn't matter. It's beer. And that's what I was hoping this conversation would do, is <laughs> let the podcast tell me what I'm going to talk about.
0: Yeah. No, it was so. great. So thank you, and thank you for everything you've ever done for this place, for that place, the DZ, yes, DZ Records, DZ Fest. You've been a you know, pivotal piece of all of it, and it's been really amazing to have you as a as a person and as a friend, as a comrade. We've had some crazy times together over the last sixteen years.
1: I just want to point out that if you guys focus on that D and the Z, it does say dome. Yeah, and again, zone.
0: another thing I did not put <laughs> up there.
1: For those so, for those just, who don't it's know, in writing on the wall, most
0: of the DZ. I, I would have rooms where I wanted to have like poetry on there, and everyone would put draw like penises on it. Absolutely. So that's that's the uh the Penis divide between my, my friends and I. So when people I see DZ, I see literally I don't dream even dream zone, I say dream zone, but I don't it doesn't represent anything to me. It's just DZ, like that's it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what it like. I, I
0: do enjoy like the annoying ongoing joke of just like dome zone. Like, I've never called it that ever.
1: Yeah, it's always been DZ, it's always been
0: other people. I call it I'm like, I don't call it that. It's not. So, yeah. But anyway, thank you for everything.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was great to have you. And uh, I thank everybody who actually listens to this. (laughs) (laughs) All All right. right. Cool Cool beans. Love you, Mark. Love you too, Ben. Later, guys. guys. Later, guys. I keep forgetting the cameras.